0: Welcome to episode 68 of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we will be talking about it. Today, we are recording on February 6th, 2018. My name is Brad Galloway, and I am the editor of GameCritics.com. I'm also 50% of this here show. With me, as always, Corey Motley, staff writer at GameCritics. Corey Motley, how you doing, sir?
1: Brad, I'm doing very well. How are you? I am doing
0: excellent. Uh, We just wrapped a really great banter section, and this morning I was hardcore freaking out that I didn't have enough content, but I managed to scrape something together, and we actually can do
1: a show today. I'm thrilled. (laughs) Me too, because it would be a shame if we had to come on here and say, oh yeah, I played this game. It was okay. Next game. I think that for, like, April April Fool's, we should do that. We should just, like, record, like,
0: literally, like, a a a two-and-a-half-minute podcast. Corey, what'd you play? XYZ. It was fine. Brad, what'd you play? XYZ. It was fine. Thanks for coming. See you later. That would be a good show.
1: So, April 1st. Maybe we can calculate, like, once. And maybe in, like, the So Video Games timeline of history, we'll have an episode that will fall on, or we'll, like, record on April 1st or publish on April 1st. It'll be, like... Once every 4,000 years, the So Video Games April Fool's episode or something
0: like that. <laughs> Although now we just talked about it, so the cat's out of the bag. People are going to be expecting it now, so now we're going to have to do it like on some random day. It can't be April 1st. It'd <laughs> be like the So belated April 1st episode. <laughs> anyway, uh, all right, folks. Before we get into the games chat here, uh, just a quick reminder that if you are the kind of person who enjoys non-games chat and our mutual various ramblings, also the occasional dick joke... You can catch our banter segment after the ending music plays. Just keep listening past the close and you will be caught up on what we've been doing when we are not playing games. But now, let's get right to what you came for, the games chat. Corey, we're going to start with you this week. And this is actually something I'm extremely curious about. Um, The only reason I haven't jumped into this is because, as far as I know, it's PC only, which I will have you confirm or deny for me. But... Doki Doki Literature Club. I am super curious about this. So please, sir, tell us all about it.
1: Okay, I literally the first question I was going to ask you is if you even knew what this game was. So I'm glad you've heard of it. And I'm glad that we can discuss it with you knowing what it is.
0: I totally know what it is. I'm super excited. Although I guess, to be fair, we probably should put up a spoiler warning, I assume. I haven't played this, but from what people have told me, that it can be spoiled. So maybe... Maybe we should just say, hey, folks, spoiler warning, because I don't know how much you're going to discuss, Corey, but uh, as far as I know, it can be spoiled. Would you agree with that?
1: It can, and that's something I've been thinking about going into this episode because it's kind of, it falls under the umbrella of one of those games where where people will say, like, oh, play this game, but don't read anything about it or don't look Mm -mm. up anything about it or, you know, just go in fresh and play it. And I couldn't really decide, like, how far I wanted to go. So do you want me to like go like full in spoilers on it for the show?
0: Yeah, let's do that. Okay, so here's what we're going to do, folks. Uh, So we do, uh, thanks to Corey's hard work, uh, we do put out uh, timestamps for these segments. So if you are someone who is thinking about playing Doki Doki Literature Club, please stop. Please stop the episode right now. Look at the show notes and you'll see the timestamps. Please jump ahead to the next segment because uh, I'm going to, let Corey uh, off his leash. He can talk about whatever he wants. He's going to like 100% spoilage. <laughs> so nothing will be held back. This is going to be a full on spoiler section. If you don't want to be spoiled, this is now your chance. Please stop now. Jump ahead to the next segment. Look at the timestamps. They are there for you. And uh, so you've been warned. We're about to spoil everything about Doki Doki Literature Club. And I think that is a pretty good warning. Do you agree, sir?
1: That was, like, a full, like, one-minute warning, so I think we're good.
0: Okay, we are good. Feel free to talk about whatever you want. I already know everything about it, so I've been spoiled. Don't feel like you need to hold anything back from me. Say whatever you want. I want to hear all about it. Let's go. Doki Doki.
1: Okay, so this game came onto my radar because one of my very, very good friends from college, uh, Justin, who actually lives in Seattle, he moved there a few years ago, and the last time I was in Seattle, whenever I visited you and your wife and your children... Um, I actually spent about half the time I was in Seattle uh, staying with Justin and seeing him, and like we went hiking and shit, and it was really fun. And so, Justin, I know you're going to be listening to the show, because you told me to tell you whenever I posted it, even though you should be listening to all of these episodes. If you were really a good friend, you would listen to all these episodes. I'm just kidding. But this is for you, Justin. Thank you for putting this game on my radar. So... He texted me about a month ago or so, and he was like, "Hey, have you heard of this game, um, Doki Doki Literature Club?" And I was like, "What the fuck is this game? Like, I had never heard of it, had no idea what it was." And he's a little more in tune with PC games than I am, and he watches a lot of uh, like a lot of Twitch streaming and uh, you know game streams online, so he's probably saw it um, through streaming. And come to find out. This game is a, it's kind of like a, is it a visual novel? Is that what they call them, Brad? I would say that's pretty fair, yeah. It's like, and I don't have a lot of experience with visual novels, so um, if I get any details wrong going forward, please feel free to correct me on them, because I think you're a little more experienced than I am, right?
0: I I have played several visual novels, and from what I understand, Doki Doki is definitely a visual novel. I mean, I don't know the details, but from what I've I've heard, people say, yeah, it,
1: it pretty much is. Okay, good. I feel better going forward with this and so it is a visual novel pc game as far as i know too it is pc only right now and i don't know if it's on a deal or if it's always free or what's going on but i downloaded it on steam on my pc for free uh, over the weekend and played the whole thing for free there's no like it wasn't like a demo or anything and i like i said i don't know if that if it's always free or what but i got it for free and i played it so i'm definitely happy about that but it is a visual novel where you play as a dude who is going to high school. He has a friend named, uh, Sayori. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, and she's kind of like your, like, longest friend. Like, she, you know, the game makes it out to seem like she's kind of the girl who's been there your whole life. You know, you're kind of like BFFs, never anything romantic or sexy. She's just, like, kind of like your friend that's, like, your little sister in a way. And, um, and like they kind of like tease each other. Like she always um, sleeps in, and you know doesn't get up on time for class. And sometimes he has to like call her and wake her up. And uh, I guess her like room and like her house is always a mess. So like whenever they hang out, he talks about how every time they hang out, he like um, he like cleans her room for her because it's like kind of a mess. Um, and so that's kind of like their situation. Like it sets up their story pretty well. And when you get to school, uh, there are after school clubs that you can participate in. And the main character, he's kind of like, I mean, it's first person, so you never, like, see him. But uh, hes he seems to me like your kind of average, like, kind of, like, nerdy schooler. Like, he kind of wants to join, like, an anime club or, like, a video game club. And he's not really sure that he wants to join any club because maybe he doesn't want to. And his BFF, Sayori, is like, oh, um, you know, I'm going to join a literature club. Will you just come for the first day and, you know, see how you like it? Um, you know, one of my friends is making cupcakes for it, so you can come, you can get a cupcake, and then you can kind of see what you want to do. And she very much plays the part of, like, you know, the very, like, innocent kind of silly friend that you kind of can't say no to. So, and there's no, like, choice in the matter. Like, the game progresses more or less very linearly. So um, you go to the meeting, the after-school club, what have you, the Doki Doki Literature Club, and it turns out that there's only... Um, four people in the group and of course they're all like pretty sexy ladies like they're all like you know like really beautiful high school girls and the game presents itself in a very like anime style so they're wearing like kind of like ridiculous schoolgirl outfits and you know school vests that are like skin tight and they have big boobs and they have like purple hair and you know so they look very anime inspired and So you get to the club, you start learning about them, you eat your cupcake, you kind of progress through. And because it's a visual novel, like 99% of this is just you clicking through and reading what they're saying and what you're saying back to them. Every once in a blue moon, you have like a dialogue choice between a couple things where you can say something one way or say something another way, but it's not like a life or death, you know, kind of dialogue choice. And then because it's a literature club, they write poems every day after class So they have like a little homework assignment to write a poem, and then the next day they go in and read each other's poems to each other. They kind of hand them off, they read, and they give a little bit of feedback on their poems. And the main character does not have any poetic experience. So the gameplay, quote unquote, aside from clicking through dialogue, comes into form whenever you write the poems. There's like a notebook page that takes over the screen after school, and it has a list of about 10 words on it. And you try, because the idea is that he's kind of trying to like write a poem that will impress one of the women, because maybe he wants to date them, or maybe he wants to become better friends with them. So it's kind of like a sexy, like visual novel kind of thing. And so you select one of the words, and you have to do that 20 times, like you select a word, and then all the words on the page change to different words, you select a new one, the words change, you select a new one, you do that 20 times. And then you get to class the next day, and you kind of read over everybody's poems. And it progresses as if it's going to be like just like kind of like a dating sim visual uh, visual novel. Um, do you have Brad? Do you have any questions or anything before we go forward? I've been talking a lot.
0: No, I'm with you so far, man. I am. I am. I'm. I'm down. I totally know the visual novel <laughs> style. I, I'm imagining all this in my head, and I know that so far, this is not something we would generally talk about here at So Many Games. But I do know a twist is coming. So please proceed.
1: <laughs> okay, so. As you write the poems and as you learn more about the girls in the club, you know, you start to, um, like, maybe you can start favoring one of the girls over the other one, or maybe you can start writing poems that try to um, express, like, kind of like your desire for one of them over the other ones. And I've only played through the whole game once, so I don't know. I haven't researched it enough to know if there's, like, a way to like, like a solid way to attract a certain member, or if you, like, kind of go down the same path every time. I'm not really sure, but it's kind of neither here nor there. Um, So eventually, you end up writing enough poems. And in my case, I was um, fictionally attracted to one of the members named Yuri, and she's kind of, like, she's kind of, like, really sweet, but she's very introspective, and she likes, like, she straight up tells you that she likes horror, and she likes... Um, you know, kind of scary things, and you wouldn't necessarily know that from looking at her, from listening to her talk. So whenever I wrote poems, I tried to pick out the words that were kind of, like, more grim and more um, maybe, like, sad or, um, like, depressive and stuff like that, because, I mean, first of all, they were the easier words to pick out of the list of words, and um, I just kind of liked the vibe that Yuri was giving off. So as I started to make friends with Yuri. Like, you could—the kind of the dialogue switches a little bit to where you can kind of tell that, like, maybe some of the other girls are feeling maybe, like, threatened or sad, um, that you're kind of, like, moving in on the territory and kind of, like, becoming interested in one of them. And eventually it boils down to Sayori, who is your best friend that gets you in the club. There's, like, a day where she oversleeps and you're waiting for her to come out of her house— and you go inside to talk to her, and um, and she's like in her room, and she's sad, and she kind of like, for the first time, because the game has been very lighthearted, very like pink and cupcakes and sunshine up until this point, um, you, you confront her in, the, in her room and see what's going on with her, and basically she's like, oh, just so you know, like, I'm really depressed, and I'm on medication. And I feel like nobody cares about me, and there's no way to help me, and I, like, want to kill myself, and it totally, like, throws a big curveball into the gameplay because it's very unexpected from what's been happening so far. But it's also very real because people, I mean, people who, I mean, people like to think that people who are depressed are... Like, all they do is, like, mope, and they're sad, and it's very obvious that they're depressed, but that's not always the case. Sometimes people who have depression or have anxiety, they are very high-functioning, and they seem really happy, and maybe they're the life of the party, and maybe they get along with everybody, and they're all smiles, but in their head, they actually are depressed all the time because it's, like, a literal chemical imbalance in your brain. And she is very much that kind of person, like a like a high-functioning person. Um, like so someone who has anxiety. And so she kind of like comes out to you and she's like, I've been really depressed. I'm really sad all the time. Um, I don't want anybody to care about me. And then it puts you in a position where I started feeling like guilty because she also kind of was like, oh, I'm in love with you. But I can tell that you're interested in Yuri. And, and so it puts you on that weird um, pedestal of like, Feeling guilty because she's depressed and she's kind of in love with you, but you've been chasing this other girl. So, like, do you want to keep chasing the girl, or do you want to try to step it down with Yuri and try to like make things better with Sayori? And it kind of turns into like a little bit of a complex web. And then I think it's the following day. Whenever you play the next day and go to um, go to the um, the the club. Um, Sayori isn't there. I hope I'm getting this right. I might be mixing up some of these details, but you go home to check on her and you walk in her room and she has hung herself and she's dead. She has committed suicide. It's like a big, like grim surprise, I guess. I mean, the fact that she was depressed and kind of came out about it, This is the kind of thing that I kind of saw coming, like, 100 miles away, but it's still no less shocking whenever you're looking at the computer screen. You've been playing this Cupcakes and Sunshine anime game, and all of a sudden there's, like, a high school girl who has um, hanged herself in her bedroom. And then this is when the game really starts to break down. Like, up until this point, it was, like, kind of like a visual novel dating sim. And then after she dies, the game kind of kicks you back out to the start menu, and makes you think that, like, that was the end of the game. Maybe there's a way that you can side with her and save her if you play it again. Or, you know, something like that. But when you start a new game, it kind of runs you through everything that had happened before. But there's, like, glitches in the game that happens where you can tell that, like, it is... Although it's a lot of repetition, it's definitely a new experience. Like, sometimes characters will say different things. Or sometimes the text boxes that they're using will be in a really weird font or sometimes like their character models will change and their eyes will like explode out of their head mid conversation. So it kind of feels <laughs> oh like, it, it feels like a hallucinatory experience when you're playing the game uh, made more strange by the fact that you had just played through like a game that was like 90% normal and then you start playing it again, and shit's just weird, and sometimes, like, the character models will, like, get really glitchy, and everything is on purpose, but it just kind of seems like the game's code is breaking down in a really interesting way, and in a really unsettling and disturbing way, and at a certain, oh, and also, in the second playthrough, Sayori, who hung herself, is gone. She's not in this playthrough at all, so, like, you go to the club because the the club president approaches you in the classroom instead of Sayori. She's gone completely. And so you play through the game again and it, it's going down But just the other three girls. Is, and it, is things, it like she's
0: erased from history or is she already dead? Or like, what do you mean? She's not there.
1: She, she's like erased from history. Like okay, nobody okay. talks about her. She's just totally <clears> not there. Just gone, so okay. that, yeah, like that makes it surreal enough in its own sense And then the more the kind of like the mechanics of the game break on themselves as you play it makes it get even weirder as you go on. And so I was trying to follow the same path as if Sayori weren't there. And like, I I was still interested in Yuri. I was still trying to write poems that I thought would make her happy or, you know, that would appeal to her. And there comes a point where she, where Yuri starts getting really possessive and she like talks about how much she loves you and how she doesn't think she can live without you and starts and like the other club members talk about how they think that Yuri cuts herself and how she's like has maybe tried to commit suicide and it's like fucking bananas. Like it's totally weird. And, and then you get to a point where it's you and Yuri in the classroom together, just the two of you because the other two girls have left and she's talking about how much she loves you and how she can't live without you. And when she sees you, like, she feels like her heart is exploding. And so she does what every logical um, high school girl does in that situation. And she takes out a kitchen knife and stabs herself to death right in front of you. (laughs) Jesus Christ.
0: (laughs) And so, yeah, it's
1: fucking wild. And so she kills herself right in front of you in the classroom. And, I mean, we're talking about, like, anime-ass anime graphics, and then all of a sudden she's, like, stabbing herself, and there's, like, blood coming out, and she's on the ground, and it's, like, a first-person view where, like, you can see your character's arms are stretched out, like, kind of holding her, and she's, like, bleeding out in front of you. It's fucking wild. And and then um, the game kind of keeps going. Like, you you keep playing, and then the other girls see what happens, and it, it starts getting really strange. And then eventually you I can't remember exactly what happens but eventually you finish the game again I think and then you start playing it again and the club president Monica who has been the most she's very nice but she's been the most off limits one the whole time because she you were led to believe that she like has a boyfriend so maybe like she's not interested in you romantically or something like that but she's still very like a nice person the whole time um you get to a point where you start the game and it's just you're in a room that's not like unlike any room you've been in in the game so far and it's just her sitting in a desk staring directly at you like kind of like with her arms up on the desk like looking at you lovingly and she starts in on this monologue where she talks about how she is in control of the game and how she went into the the game file folders and deleted Sayori's game character files so that she wouldn't be in the game anymore because she loves you. And so she was trying to delete the other characters out of the game. And because she deleted the other characters out of the game, that's why the game files are messing up and why it was looking really, um, really glitchy and really weird. And if you keep if you stay in that room long enough, the game does not end, it will just eternally be her sitting there and every like, 20 seconds she'll like go through a new little monologue with you that you read through and then she'll just stand there and stare at you for like 20 seconds and then she'll do a new monologue and so I quit the game cuz I didn't know what else to do and if you try to sa- <laughs> if you try to save the game at that point you go to the save menu and a little dialogue bo- box pops up and it's her talking and she's like you don't need to save your game it's just the two of us here together now and so you can't even save the game and this is something that I love like, I don't play PC games often, but this is something that I love about PC games that they can do sort of this, like, surreal... Like, like with the save, the game save stuff, like, where you don't... Or, like, talking about the character files, like, you don't really see that on a console experience because the console games just exist on the consoles themselves. And uh, so I quit the game, and then I launched the game again to see what's going to happen. And whenever you launch it, it's her sitting there staring at you again, and she's, like... She talks about how... Like what happened? I fell asleep and I had a bad dream. Where did you go? I've been waiting for you. And so like I go through this where like I quit the game a few times to see what happens. And every time I come back, she talks about how she must have blacked out and how she can't remember what happened and she was really scared and you weren't there and stuff like that. And so I pick up my phone because I'm a smart, I'm a smart guy, Brad. I'm smart. So <laughs> I, I go into the game's programming files out of the game completely on my desktop I find a character folder and only her character file is in there. And so I pick up my phone and I text Justin who told me about this game. And I text him and I say, hey, can I delete her character file? And he was like, yes. So I delete her character file much like she did with everyone else in the game. And this is outside of the game completely. This is just like on the Windows desktop. Like the
0: desktop, okay. Uh Yeah.
1: And so I delete her character file and go back in. And I feel like such a fucking asshole saying this because I can't actually remember what happens after you delete her character file. What? That's- <laughs> but I know, I'm so stupid. Um, but I just remember deleting it and then you go back into the game. And I mean, maybe this is like where I can't get any more spoilery because I actually can't remember what happens at this point. But, um, but just like the fact that that's a really underwhelming ending to the story, but just the <laughs> fact that like in a PC game experience, yet yeah, that's like an option. Like she talks about, cause she, she kind of hints at it where she's like, Oh, I didn't want you to be attracted to Sayori and to or, and to uh, to Yuri, so I went into their care. I went into their folder and downloaded their car or and deleted their character files. And because you're playing this on Steam, I had to go here and here to find their files. So she kind of like leads you thinking down that line of like where you can go to find the character files, and then you go in there and you delete hers. And whenever there actually comes a point where you finish the game and like the credits actually do roll and at the end of the credits rolling when you go back to the start screen there's literally a dialogue box that comes up and it says like um like something about how like priority files for the game have been deleted and in order to play it again you have to delete the whole game and reinstall it from steam so like you actually delete so much out of it when you delete her character file that you have to reinstall the game to play it again. And I'm assuming that restores the other character files too, because I think Justin told me, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe I read this on like Wikipedia or something that in the middle of the game, if you want to, you can go in and manually delete the other character's files. And like certain things will happen in the game after you delete the files yourself, like when you're not supposed to, and it can affect the game. And I haven't tried it, but it's like, It's fucking bananas. Like, this game is is bananas, and it's really memorable. It's really creepy. It's really interesting. I will say that the big drawback for it for me, though, is that it takes about two hours of playing the standard visual novel stuff until it starts kind of going down the rabbit hole of being weird and being surreal. And those two hours, coming from someone who never, ever plays games like this— was, were kind of, like, agonizingly slow for me. But once it hits its stride, I was, like, sucked in because it's so weird and it's so interesting. And it really goes places. But those first two hours, I was just like, really, I'm just clicking through all this dialogue and that's it? And looking at these ridiculous big booby anime girls and that's it? But once shit starts getting real, it really starts going.
0: That sounds fantastic. That sounds meta- <laughs> meta af and i gotta it say <clears throat> that's <is> so <laughs> crazy i knew that it took a horror turn i did not know that you had to do like the game file shit that makes it even more interesting to me although i i will say i was gonna say i hope this comes to console but now that you said that i'm like oh there's no way this can come to console because you would never be able to like delete the file unless they gave you some kind of like bogus desktop which isn't quite the same thing so i don't <laughs> think the effect would quite work that sounds super fascinating though and i'm glad that you um played that and got through it. I mean, I've played a couple of visual novels. I find them in general to be pretty boring unless they <laughs> have a big twist. So I, you know, if I didn't know about this, I probably wouldn't have gotten through that first two hours, but it sounds really interesting. Um, fascinating, honestly. I think I, that now that I know more, even more about it, I'm going to go download it and I'll have it uh, on Steam. I, I do play a PC game once in a blue moon, and this sounds to me like something that is interesting enough for me to sit through. Uh, a couple of questions really quick. So like all told, with all the playthroughs and all the deleting and all the back and forth and all this, stuff, like, how many hours did you spend on this? Like from start to finish all like all everything in? I think it was like five. Oh, okay, that's super reasonable. That is super reasonable. That is really good. Also, um, the other thing I was going to ask is something that I am totally forgetting. <laughs> I'm totally forgetting my next question. I had a really good question for you. And I can't remember what it is. I don't know oh, no. What, well, whatever. Terrible, terrible co-host. I know. I'm an awful co-host. I should have <laughs> wrote it down. I should have wrote it down. I can't remember. But anyway, that sounds really, really fascinating. It kind of it kind of reminds me a little bit of like how I feel when I was playing
1: uh, Danganronpa. Uh, you, did you play that? Did you play the demo? You didn't care for that? I don't remember if you played the demo. That is 100% correct. I played the demo for the new one, and I did not care for it.
0: So I totally understand. Um, but like the, when I first played the first Danganronpa, that was kind of the same thing where it, it seems like it's starting out in a certain way and then things start to get kind of crazy. And then all of a sudden it becomes like really interesting and you got kind of sucked into it. Like how you're describing how you played Doki Doki was how I felt when I was playing Danganronpa. So, um, I'm not going to recommend it to you again, but if you ever wanted to have a similar kind of experience where not the same thing, but that feeling of like, wow, things are going off the rails, what's going on and I'm really kind of into this story, um, I definitely would recommend you play the first thing and see if it grabs you. Uh, but this sounds interesting as fuck. I want to go download this, like, right away. And for five hours, I could totally I could totally squeeze in five hours somewhere. So uh, I am definitely going to do that. Thank you very much for sharing, and uh, hopefully people listening are intrigued as well. I mean, you know what happens, but even still, it sounds like a very interesting experience. Um, absolutely, yeah. Very exciting stuff. Oh, oh, the other thing I was going to ask you. Uh, I remember now. Uh, so... It's free. I've heard some people say that there was some way to support these guys. Is there like DLC or is there some kind of donate button? Or like, how are
1: these guys making money off of this? There, when you go to the game page on Steam, there's an edition of the game that's nine ninety nine, And I can't remember what is in it, if it has like the soundtrack or something like that. But there is a version that you can buy cause it's just the free version. And then there's like the nine ninety nine, and I don't know if it has like a bundle or something. I can't remember what's in it. Cause I didn't look at it cause I wasn't going to pay for this game. That makes me sound terrible. But, um, cause I saw that it was free and I was like, hell yeah, I'm going to download the free one, but, uh, there is a way and I'm pretty sure that I read somewhere that they have like a merch store. So I'm pretty sure you can buy like shirts or something, uh, you know, to maybe, I don't know how much that helps the developers, but, um, for them too, but they do have a version of the game that's nine ninety nine 99 on steam. Interesting, interesting.
0: All right, cool, cool. Well, that is Doki Doki Literature Club and uh probably the most spoilerific section we've done in a while. Hopefully people took our advice yeah. and jumped into Yeah, I literally segment.
1: laid out almost every single detail of the entire game.
0: <laughs> yeah, that is like basically the whole game. And you know, you know what though? We're going to get an angry email like in a week. They're going to be like, "Oh my god, you spoiled the game." I'm sure we're going to get at least one angry email. So, dude, Please don't be mad. We gave you like a full minute of spoiler warnings. Hopefully you figured it out. But anyway, sounds interesting as fuck. Any last things or should we move on?
1: Um, I'll just, uh, finish up by saying that, uh, Justin, thank you for recommending this game to me. And i never would have played it. Probably never even would have heard of it. Um, unless you had introduced it to me. And although the first two hours were kind of boring, uh it definitely went places and it kind of pushed all the right weird buttons for me because i love games that are surreal and that kind of like fuck with your head and this was definitely one of those games so justin i know you're listening thank you for recommending this to me i appreciate it
0: right on thank you justin this was made for a very interesting segment so we will give uh plus five points to justin for <laughs> his contribution uh moving on uh, full disclosure, folks, as I said in the banter section, although you haven't heard that yet because it's at the end of the show, although we actually recorded <laughs> it first, sucked into the time warp yet again this week. Uh, I've been working like mad hours, like mad hours. My entire weekend was just work or work. So I haven't had as much time as I wanted to. So I was looking for something short to play because I'm still deep a Monster Hunter, which I'll talk about at the end. Um, but I'm like, oh, I can't, I can't just show up with Monster Hunter because I've talked about it like twice. I got to have something fresh for the show. I know. I'll go to the Switch, since there's so many new and fresh and interesting indies on the Switch, and I'll get something there, and I'll play that when I'm at work or when I'm out and about, and then I'll be able to talk about that for the show. So I went to the Switch store with the full intention of buying Celeste, which is a brand new indie from the people who made Towerfall, which was an indie darling a couple years back. Uh, I heard nothing but good things about this, Uh, number one, because apparently it's a very challenging and well-put-together platformer. Also, apparently it's got a really good story about personal growth and depression. Also, it's getting a lot of props because apparently it has a lot of accessibility options to where if you are not good at platformers, you can change all sorts of settings or you can even just like make yourself invincible or, you know, all these type of different like concessions that make sure that you can finish the game no matter what your skill level is. So it sounds really interesting on many fronts. I was like, uh, gonna buy that for sure. And I did, I, I bought it. But it just so happened that after I bought it, I realized I wouldn't really have time to actually play it to the point where I'd feel comfortable talking about it. So I'm like, okay, uh, plan B. Uh, Downloaded Celeste, but I'm like, oh, well, what else is here on the store? Oh, look at this! Oh, look at this cute game. It's called Mad Carnage. (laughs) Look at this cute. Look at this. Look at this cute game. Yes, (laughs) (laughs) that that is a very me thing to say, by the way. (laughs) Uh, So it's a turn-based. It looks like a very turn-based strategy game set in a post-apocalyptic wasteland where you ride around in cars. It looks like you're battling for fuel. It looks like Mad Max, but on a grid and like a turn-based strategy game. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I like Mad Max and I like turn-based strategy and this looks interesting. And there's also like some uh, comic book cutscenes and stuff. And it's apparently was worked on by some writer who I've never heard of, but the developers felt like it was worth mentioning that he was a writer. So probably I just haven't heard of him, but he's probably somebody all right, well, I'm going to go with this. And it was like five bucks. I'm like, that's a good price. That's an experimental price. Uh, I'm okay trying an indie for five bucks. That's within my my gambling zone. So I also downloaded Mad Carnage in addition to Celeste and I figured I'll save Celeste when I have more time and I'll try Mad Carnage for the show. Um, yeah, it was kind of a waste of five bucks. I kind of want my five bucks <laughs> oh, back. Oh no. <laughs> it was kind of... Okay, so like I said, turn-based Mad Max, kind of a three-quarter isometric view. Uh, I start the game up and I'm like, so you guys said this was worked on by some kind of a famous writer or somebody who was a writer. And I'm like, that really doesn't come through because although the game begins, there's a ton of text. So like, kind of like Doki Doki, it's a little bit of a visual novel in some ways. There's like a shitload of text to get through, but it is really poorly written. Um, I mean, I, as an editor, I am the editor of GameCritics.com. I edit things. Every day, literally every day. I've been editing things for so many years. It's what I do. It's what I do. And for me to sit through the text that they were putting in the game was absolutely like nails on chalkboard unbearable. It was like wrong punctuation, wrong spellings, repeated word choices, like really poor run-on sentence structure. And I'm like, oh my fucking God. Did I mean, maybe a writer, quote unquote writer wrote this, but you didn't spell check this. You didn't go over this again. Like you didn't edit this. Like this is this raw text which is not suitable for publication. I would not run that text at Game Critics. It is not up to our standards. And sitting there trying to read that, I was, it was, uh, it, was re- it was physically painful to me. I started getting stomach cramps, felt some diarrhea coming on. I couldn't get through it. It was really bad. So I skipped the dialogue. I'm like, this is really awful. And it was just like like pages and pages of text, tons of text. So it's a real shame that it wasn't good because I mean, that would be okay. I don't mind reading a bunch of text if it's good. And you know, you have a little maybe strategy. You go back, read a couple pages, go back to some strategy. That's fine. That works for me. But the text was just straight up awful, really awful. Um, then it goes to a couple comic book cutscenes, which is weird because if you're going to go text, why would you have a couple comic book cutscenes? Why would you not do all comic books? Because I think that you know, adding more visuals is great for a visual medium like this. But it's a really weird mix of text and then just comic book scenes. Comic book illustrations really rough, but that's fine. I mean, it's okay. It doesn't bother me that much. But again, text was not great. So then you get to the game part and they give you a quote unquote tutorial where you're in the, in the map. So you're looking at this giant map. It's like a giant sandy wasteland, not much to look at, but that's fine. Like I would be okay as long as it was fun to play. Uh, They give you one car and there's like three enemy cars on the map and they say, here's your car, move to this green highlighted square. And I'm like, well, okay, you're not telling me exactly what I'm doing, but I'm like, I'll figure it out as I go. So you move your car there. They tell you to keep moving to a different square, and they don't explain the game systems. They don't explain how many turns you, or how many squares you can move in a turn. They don't tell you how to turn the direction of your car. They don't tell you how to stop because it seems like you have to move. And I'm like, well, I, I maybe I want to park around this corner and wait for somebody to drive by and I'll, I'll ambush them. No, you can't do that. Why not? I don't know. Um, how, what are my weapons? How strong are my weapons? I don't know. How strong are their weapons? I don't know. So I'm like, okay. First level that's fine. I'll just roll with this. They have you drive around uh a couple squares. The cars chase you. One of them blows up for I don't know why. And then somebody <laughs> comes in from out of screen and saves you. And then that's the end of the first quote-unquote tutorial level which didn't teach me anything. So I'm like, "All right, that's okay. You're setting the scene. That's fine. We'll go on to the next next stage." I had to get through like like literally like 15 pages of text like scrolling through on the on the Switch. Not reading any of it because it's garbage. And then I get to the next like level two, which I'm assuming I'm still in the tutorial phase. <clears throat> this time, no, you're actually playing the game. And I don't know what's going on. I don't know what the rules are. I don't know what the structure is. I have three cars. They have three cars. Uh, I don't know which one is my main character. If there is a main character, are they all grunts? Are they disposable? If they die, do I get them back? I don't know. I don't know anything about this. So I'm just playing it blind and I try to move my cars and I see the enemy cars coming in. I'm like, well, what I would like to do is park and then wait for them to get a little closer. And then I will move in once they're a little bit closer. So that gives me the advantage. Can't do that. Okay, well, I'm going to park around this building and then I'm going to circle around back and get them. Can't do that because I can't turn my car. Okay, well, I want to I wanna drive to this square over here. Can't do that. You can only drive to these green squares. Why are these squares green? Why are these the only places you can go? I don't know. <laughs> I mean... Full disclosure, I've been in a car. I drive a car, and I know that cars can turn. Like, I hope that's not a spoiler for anybody, but cars have fucking steering wheels, and they can turn left and right, and they can go straight. They can also go in fucking reverse. So it's like, why am I being forced to go to these little highlighted green squares? I don't understand why. So I try this level. I can only move to the green squares where it tells me to go. I move there. I get annihilated. The enemy cars blow up all of my cars, and I'm like, well... Maybe that was supposed to happen. Maybe that was like uh, one of those, you know, one of those bullshit levels where you got to die to move on, right? I hate those, but maybe that's what it... No. No, I just failed. I failed the mission and I couldn't figure out what I was supposed to do. So I'm like, okay, uh, let's just try this again. So I restart the level. Level two. This is level two, mind you. Uh, I start the level again. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to move forward much more slowly, even though for some reason my brakes apparently don't work. And I'm just going to go slow and I'm going to try to get the drop on these guys. And no, you're forced to move a certain direction and a certain number of squares. Enemies come in and just blow you up. And I fail the mission again, two times in a row. I don't know why. I don't know what I can do differently. And I don't know what I'm not doing right. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go back to the Switch home uh, home screen and I'm going to fucking delete this game. So that game is deleted. Oh boy. That's as far as it went. If you don't know enough to get your game off the ground, I'm not going to waste any time trying to fucking figure it out text was awful. Your tutorial is not even a tutorial. And then you send me into a level, which seems to me like impossible to, to beat. I mean, maybe there's a way to beat it, but if there is, I don't know. And as a new consumer who just gave you five fucking dollars, I think it's a little bit on you to kind of onboard me into your game a little bit better than this. Total fucking amateur hour. I'm mad that I spent the five bucks. It looked like it was okay. And I'm a guy that likes to support indies, but this was exactly the kind of quality control issue that the Switch needs to get on top of. This is garbage. It's hot garbage. It's not worth five bucks for, from anybody. And if Nintendo was carefully curating their store, they wouldn't have let this piece of shit on. So I do not recommend Mad Carnage. It's exactly the kind of thing that's going to ruin the Switch indie shop. Um, they need to get rid of this stuff. It's, it's awful. And whoever made this, you should be uh, ashamed of yourself because you fucking don't know how to make a game. Uh, and I wish I'd get my five bucks back. So do not recommend Mad Carnage. I have nothing good to say about it. It is absolutely, uh, a fail on every level. Um, I, if i was rating this at game critics it would be like it would be like a zero zero or a 0. 0.5 it is that bad
1: uh would you say that mad carnage is more like bad carnage <laughs> truly
0: we haven't had one of those in a while i, pre- I love i love I'm... those
1: coming back I'm sorry that I said that. <laughs> no, those are good, dude. Those
0: are the, I love those motleyisms, man. I love that. It is bad carnage. It is ultra bad. It is ultra bad carnage. It is just a mess. I'm I'm really... Uh, I mean, on the one hand, I'm glad it was so bad because I saw enough of it to talk about it on the show before we recorded the show. On the other hand, I want my five bucks back. This is a bullshit game. This shouldn't be on the store and I'm mad at Nintendo for having it on the store. Whoever these guys are that put this game together are not even real game developers. This is bullshit. This is a travesty. So anyway... Fuck that fucking game, and that's all I have to say about
1: it. It's awful. I, uh, I have I have something to say here. Yeah, please do. Yeah. Okay, so although obviously I respect your opinion about this game, however bad it may be, um, and games like it, however bad they may be, I would like to challenge your notion that just because a game is bad means that it should not be for sale on the Nintendo Switch Store. Why is that? Because I don't think it's Nintendo's place to say, your game is bad, therefore we're not gonna let you sell it. I think it is the marketplaces place to for it to allow you to put the options out there and allow you to be as informed, As possible in order to make a good purchasing decision, and sometimes that's not possible because literally I'm looking at it right now. Mad Carnage has one review on Metacritic. It is a 52 out of 100. It's the single review on Metacritic. So sometimes it's impossible to find a good like, um, like uh, temperature of the game. But I do not believe that just because a game is bad does not that that means that it should not be allowed to be sold on a platform.
0: See, I, I, I hear what you're saying, and I think in theory that I agree with you. And also, just full disclosure, I did try to Metacritic this game before I bought it. At the time that I bought it, there were no reviews, so there was absolutely <laughs> nothing to go by. Um, and even if, even if there was a 50, I would sometimes still go for that, because, you know, I find some games that other people don't like that I find some good in, and I, you know, I've, I've enjoyed games that, that people have, have seen as, like, quote-unquote bad games, so... I'm, I'm definitely okay with experimental or low budget or stuff like this. But I mean, I think from the perspective of like, if I was Nintendo, and this is kind of the same thing that's, that's been going on with Steam for a long time, if you're not curating the stuff that you're offering, it can kind of like tarnish your whole brand. Like if I bought three games in a row that were equally this bad, I would be like, fuck the Switch. It's got garbage games. I don't like these games here. I wasted money and I can't get my money back. And these games suck. And so that therefore makes me think the Switch sucks. And so if I was Nintendo, I would be like, I don't want people buying games that make them hate our console. I want them to buy the best possible games. It's one thing to like, if something is not up to your taste, like if I didn't like golf games and I bought Golf Story and then I was mad that it was all about golfing, that would be on me. But people could say, well, this is a well-made game. There's a lot of content, the mechanics work, it looks cute. I mean, you can take a look at it and say, "This this is a good game. Maybe it's not to your taste, but it's still a functional game. I mean, this to me is like, These people didn't even know how to make a tutorial. They didn't know how to explain their mechanics. Uh, I mean, this doesn't even meet like the very basic requirements of like a good functional product that you would sell to a consumer. Like if I walked into Burger King and I ordered a burger and I got a bun and a piece of lettuce and no burger, I would be mad and that would be unacceptable. That's kind of how I (laughs) feel about this is like you're selling me this game, but this is not a well-made put together game. This is like a game that barely, I mean, it runs, it turns on. But, like, it does not meet, for me, anyway, the basic requirements. And so, I mean, it's kind of the same thing with Steam, like I said. I mean, there, with um, Steam Greenlight and all the stuff that's on Steam, I mean, all of the good games on Steam are getting drowned out by all of the shovelware, where Steam is kind of abdicating responsibility from um, saying, you know, what's good enough to be on the platform and it's not. And the result is that their marketplace is just fucking filled to the rafters with garbage. I mean, I hear people all the time talk about how they hate they can't find anything good. You don't know what's good and what's not. There's too much just just... just hot garbage on Steam and I don't want Nintendo to go that same route I mean if you care about a platform and I know that Nintendo does and the same thing with Sony and Microsoft too um, they've been pretty good about it but I think that they're getting a little bit more lax these days like you, I mean I don't think there's anything wrong with having a panel of people and saying is this the kind of thing that we feel like represents the PlayStation brand or the Switch brand or the Xbox One brand I mean if you have a wide variety of people maybe you will find a game that maybe one person doesn't care for but the other person does like they can see some positives I'm having a very hard time imagining anyone looking at this game and playing it and thinking this is a good game. I mean, it, so, I mean, for me anyway, I mean, I get what you're saying, but at the same time, if if this was my platform, if I was running a Switch, I would be like, I don't want the shit on my game because people will not like my console because this
1: is a terrible game. You know what I mean? I know what you mean, but I disagree with you very heavily. That would be running your platform like a dictatorship. And I don't think that's the right way to do it. I mean, I feel like if, if you buy three games on Nintendo Switch that have nothing to do with Nintendo at all, that aren't developed by Nintendo, that aren't published by Nintendo, and you don't like all three of them, I feel like if you there- therefore think Nintendo is garbage, I feel like that's a horrible take.
0: I mean, that's probably a horrible take, but at the same time, it's all about perception. Like if you go into, um, I mean, okay, so for example, like this. So I'm the editor of GameCritics.com, and I'm the person who says a review is good enough or not. Like, that's my job. I've been doing that for many years. When people turn in reviews to me, if I have a review where I'm like, this is not a good review, I have to say, this is not a good review, and I can't run this. I mean, that's like, I'm kind of like gatekeeping what goes up at GameCritics, because anything that I run at GameCritics will reflect on us as a site. It's not going to be, oh, I didn't like that review by that one guy. It's going to be, oh, GameCritics review is fucking blow. So it's kind of the same thing. Like, I mean, quality control is something that pretty much any business does. And it's only, like, in a very specific game-related situation like this where where it's kind of like you kind of get that open marketplace versus the curated marketplace. I mean, stuff like... Um, like, I'm pretty sure that GOG, good old games, is uh, into doing curation. And there's a few other places, I think, that do it. But, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. But at the same time, like, the Switch marketplace is not, like, free enterprise. Like, it's heavily controlled by Nintendo. I mean, they have final say on everything that happens. And so... I mean, that's been their, their way for many years. And the same thing for Sony and Microsoft. Like, they're not just, like, throwing open the floodgates and saying anybody wants to publish, go for it. I mean, they, they do look at these things. You have to pass cert. You have to pass certain requirements. I'm just... I, to me, this is not pass muster. I don't think there's anything really to say for this game. And it just seems to me like a very shoddy piece of... Uh, very shoddy piece of shovelware, which is like a, a money trap for people who, like me, give it a chance on the benefit of the doubt. So, I mean, I get what you're saying, but at the same time knowing how you have to be responsible for how people perceive your brand at the same time is something that is definitely a big deal something i think about all the time with game critics and i can easily see how the, the brand manager at the switch store you know they want the best indies they want to be known for the best indies and the best download games they don't want crap games you know i mean that's kind of true for everybody i think
1: i think this is mark market in history people episode 68 of so video games <laughs> is the first time that Brad Galloway and I have very strongly disagreed with each other about something I think.
0: Wow, 68 episodes, that's pretty good. We <laughs> Yeah.
1: I mean, I'm sure I'm sure before you've been like, "Oh, I like this game." And I've been like, "Oh, I don't like this game." But I I fundamentally think that the idea that Nintendo should heavily curate games based on what whatever panel they have um, says is good enough is a horrible idea. I think that they have and much like steam and much like you know the iOS store the app store on on apple and you know android phones i totally. think they have a an obligation to curate and maybe on like the homepage of the store or do like an indie spotlight that says like hey out of all the 8 million games on our marketplace here's like the 20 that we think are really great right now that you should buy but i don't think that they have any business saying this game like, we're not going to put this game on our system because, because it's bad, I guess. Um, unless it's, like, an offensive topic, maybe, or something that's, like, um, you know, a game that has very offensive um, material in it, maybe, and even some would pull, like, oh, like, freedom of speech thing or something, but... I don't think—and I know, I know what you're saying because, you know, you don't want uh, the Switch to turn into a Steam situation where you have 500,000 games on it and 400,000 of them are, like, not very good or they're cheaply made or they're knockoffs of other games or whatever. But I don't, I don't really believe in that um, of Nintendo just, like, having some people that say, oh, this game is bad, therefore we're not going to sell it. Because at the end of the day, Nintendo is a business— they're going to get a cut of whatever game they sell. And if it's a terrible game, it doesn't matter because they're still going to get some of the money off of it. I mean, maybe they only made like a couple dollars off the $5 that you spent or, you know, however it works out. But, um, um, you know, they're they're in it to sell things. And I don't think it's their business to be like, oh, this isn't good enough, so we're not going to sell it.
0: See, I would say, and I, I totally respect that we're disagreeing on this, and this is totally this is healthy this is healthy <laughs> discussion. It's healthy discussion. I mean, I would say they are in the business of doing that because if you buy a game on um, Switch and it's all uniformly pretty good, you're going to be more likely to buy more games in the future. I mean, I think one of the potential fallouts of something like this is like people becoming less and less willing to buy games because they're afraid of getting a dud if there's too many duds. Uh, you know, that's happened with Steam, where um, it's getting really hard for indies who are, are good indies who like put their heart and soul into a game to get seen because they get drowned out and people don't want to take a risk because it's hard to tell what's good and what's not and so like they're not getting any sales uh, and this you know the same situation could happen here where if the Nintendo store gets drowned out with a bunch of crap people are going to buy less and less they'll buy the next Mario Kart or the next Smash Brothers for sure but maybe they're going to be like ah I'm not going to go to the indie store because it's all full of crap and I don't know what's good so forget it so ultimately I think that sales would would suffer from that um, but yeah I mean I mean Clearly, we're on different sides of this, and that's totally fine. I respect your view for sure. But if I was in charge, I would be like, you know what? No, no, no. We need to make sure that everything we sell is all killer, no filler, because then we have a much higher level quality. Rising tide raises all boats, and therefore, people will be more inclined to trust what we sell. People have a more favorable view of the Switch. I mean, that's how I would approach it if I was in charge of this. Clearly, I'm not. (laughs) Uh, So that's not my call to make. But after an experience like this, when I've had so many positive experiences... To have a bad one, I mean, the first thing I thought of was, who the fuck approved this? Because this is garbage. Like, it's not even it's not even a game that I just don't like in terms of taste. This is like an actual, like, capital G, capital uh, capital B, capital G, bad game. Like, this is, this to me is not ready for primetime, should not be sold. So, anyway, we don't have to beat this into the ground, but uh, <laughs> that's, I'm going to be more ca- cautious of my uh, Switch purchases now that I know they're going to let shit like this on the store. I will definitely not take as many risks. I'll have to like make sure there's at least a couple of Metacritic reviews and maybe ask around word of mouth or something like that. Uh, so again, slowing sales just for me on a personal level. But um, there we go. Mad Carnage, do not recommend under any circumstances whatsoever. Enough about that, though. I am very, very, very... Also, okay, so first, I got to apologize. Everybody mm. listening to the show, I owe Corey an apology because we had talked <laughs> about... We had talked about Hellblade, Senua's Sacrifice a while ago. I actually bought it last year and I never got around to it. And then Corey recently got it. And I'm like, oh, dude, let me know when you play that because I will totally jump on at the same time. We'll play it at the same time. We'll talk about it on the show, have a back and forth, uh, et etc. et cetera. And Corey's like, cool, cool, cool. Corey fulfilled his end of the bargain. And then when he's like, Brad, I played Hellblade. Did you play Hellblade? And I'm like, I certainly did not. <laughs> I did not play it at all. I've been playing nothing but Monster Hunter the entire time. Didn't even, didn't even didn't even crack it. Didn't even go to the home screen. Nothing. I let you down. I apologize for that because this should have been a back and forth, uh, he said, he said discussion and I did not. F- I did not do that. That's on me. So sorry, folks. And sorry, Corey, for that, for letting you letting you down. But I am still very interested to hear your take on Hellblade, Senua's Sacrifice. Uh, so uh, from your perspective, sir, tell us all about it.
1: Well, the silver lining perhaps here is that I haven't finished it. I maybe, maybe like halfway through it. So in the event that you play some or all of it in the next week, we can probably continue this discussion next week, but I can give you like sort of my, I played it for maybe like three hours, sort of like my three hours and thoughts and feelings about it right now. How does that sound?
0: Sounds good to me. Uh, should we put up a spoiler warning or no? Spoiler free?
1: Uh, Spoiler free. Yeah. Okay. All right, we're I good. mean, I don't even think I've encountered anything in the game that's like that, like, I know enough to spoil anything yet, so I, uh, I don't even think I could spoil it if I tried, um, so this is Ninja Theory's newest game, Ninja Theory, they did Ninja Blade, right,
0: Ninja Blade? They did do Ninja, wait, no, 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 it's not Ninja Blade, it it's called? Heavenly Sword, Heavenly Sword, Heavenly Sword, Did who did Ninja Blade? Ninja Blade was done by, I want to say, f... I think it was FromSoft, if, no, that's not no. right, no, hold on, I love Ninja Blade, but that's not, who made all right hold on folks <laughs> to the to the internet
1: <laughs> well and they also made um dmc the remake of double may cry that was their last no it is it is made. it is from software oh they, it's from software to from, ninja blade
0: yeah ninja blade is dope as shit dude are, you, so are we thinking oh, about the same uh, game i don't know are we talking about the same game ninja blade <laughs> is the one where you it's a third person all right divergence folks hold tight uh it's the one where you are a ninja, third-person action. You're in a city, and it has, like, tons of quick-time events. And all of the quick-time events are, like, super mega over-the-top. Like, some monster picks up an entire skyscraper and, like, slams into a ninja. And the ninja, like, blocks the skyscraper with his sword. And they're jumping all around. And the dude, like, jumps up to the moon and bounces off the moon and comes back down and all this crazy shit. Like, is that is that what you're thinking of?
1: Yes. Yes. We're talking about the same game here. Oh, Ninja Blade is the best. I love Ninja Blade.
0: It's so good so crazy but that is not what we're talking about right now at um, all not even remotely
1: but it's a I'm good glad, game though I, i'm glad we went down this road though because i thought i thought that ninja theory did this game but i am mistaken um but the last game they did was the remake of devil may cry they did dmc which i loved i thought the game was fabulous i still love it Um is
0: awesome that is the best yeah. fucking that is the best dmc that's the best devil may cry hands down <laughs>
1: I think would you I'd be inclined to agree with that. Yeah. Yes, you would. Yes, you would. Of course, you would. <laughs> having having not played all of them, I agree. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's still the best. Trust me. That DMC is fucking dope, dude. I love that game. That's also another. See, we're just good recommendations all around, folks. Go play. Go play Ninja Blade. Go play DMC. You're getting all, all the scoops here at, at So Video Games. But continue, please, sir.
1: Yes, yes, yes. So Hellblade came out last year. It was it's a third person sort of like sword fighting melee adventure game, but The big hook about Hellblade is it's supposed to uh, feature heavy themes of a sort of, like, anxiety and, like, maybe, like, bipolar disorder and sort of, like, mental health issues. And interestingly enough, whenever I started playing the game, the intro of the game is sort of, like, the main character, Sinua. she is... Um, on this sort of like log boat thing by herself. And she's like paddling down this kind of like foggy river area. And as she paddles, you have camera control, but you do not have character control. Um, This is where like the credits kind of come in on the sides. Like it'll be like, oh, game director, you know, game producer and writer and all that stuff. The very first credit, if I'm not mistaken, that flashes through whenever you play the game is the mental health advisor that worked on the game. So that is like their first build person, you know, them wanting to say, yes, we worked with a real mental health advisor. We really had someone who knew what they were talking about, who's been in the field, who's studied this stuff. Because the game features um, heavy themes of that kind of stuff. Like, Sinua is a warrior. Um, It's, the game has a lot of like mythology stuff going on. Like, they talk about a lot of characters that you know, anybody who's watched, like, a Thor movie, for example, would be familiar with, and um, she's going to this dark world, or she's going to hell, really, to try to, like, avenge the death of, like, her boyfriend or husband or a guy that she's in love with. I don't really know exactly what their relationship was, but they were together. Um, He died for some reason. I don't think the game has clarified that yet, or if it has, I'm not sure, and she is kind of going to, like, avenge his death or going to, like, face his death or going to for something. And whenever you walk through the game, because it's it's split up about half and half. Like, half of it is walking around and doing, like, uh, environmental puzzles and exploring and kind of, like, listening to the narrator of the game kind of talk you through what's going on. The other half of the game is kind of intense, like, hack and slashy uh, action, usually against only, like one to four opponents so far i the game will probably ramp it up later but it's not like a like dynasty warriors or anything like that um and like one thing that's kind of unique i suppose is they make a big deal about how the game how you're supposed to use 3d headphones or like surround sound headphones whenever you play it because it has like binaural sound where as you're playing the game it kind of like simulates the voices in her head and they're kind of constantly saying things to you and they're saying a lot of different things like some of them will be talking about how she's incompetent and maybe she shouldn't be doing this or she's scared and she doesn't know what to do and like they're kind of mocking her and then sometimes the voices are saying like oh you can do this you know you're strong you're a warrior um you know this is how you do it and often they're saying those kind of things at the same time and sending mixed messages which I reckon is something that people with mental health issues have, you know, uh, whether it's severe enough, you know, voices in your head constantly uh, offering um, like feedback on what you're doing, whether you want it or not. And I mean, I really like, there's not really like a lot to say because that's kind of it. Like you're walking through this world, it's really beautiful. It has most of the puzzles, the environmental puzzles, are ones where you walk up to a door, there's like a symbol of a rune in a door, or maybe it's two or three runes, and you have to walk around the environment until you find things in the environment, like maybe it's two trees, maybe it's like the mass of a ship, or maybe it's something, and they, you have to make them line up in order to look like the rune symbol, and once you do that with all the runes, the door unlocks, you go through the door. Uh, maybe you fight something, maybe you don't. And constantly there's like a narrator more often than not kind of talking you through what's going on. Or she has a secondary character who is kind of guiding her too. It's like a guy that's kind of talking to her and guiding her through and telling her tales of like mythology and, you know, like this god did this and that god did this. And, um, you know, this is how they battled and this is why this one disappeared. I'm sure that people who are like super duper familiar with mythology will be like, just like starstruck with this game because they really go into it when they talk about it. And it's not always in a way where like you have to stop what you're doing to listen to it and they just kind of talk you through it like as you're exploring the environment as you know you're doing certain things, which makes um, me irritated because sometimes you find these like grave uh, posts looking things with the rune symbol on it. And you can focus on the rune symbol and you'll get like an audio log, but it's basically sounds like the stuff you've already been listening to in the game. But in those situations, if you walk far enough away from that tombstone looking thing, the voice gets fainter, which I don't understand why they didn't just have that voice carry with you. It's really annoying. Um, but I mean, that's kind of it. Like you're either fighting or you're walking around and solving puzzles. And I mean, I I'm, I'm like lukewarm on it. Like The combat's okay the puzzle solving is kind of boring um the world is interesting the game is beautiful the story is interesting but I kind of wish that there were like a little bit more going on in it and I don't mean that I want to be like fighting dudes with my sword every 30 seconds because the game does a pretty like admirable job of only putting you in a combat situation like maybe every like 30 minutes or something. Like it's not one of those games where you walk into a room, you fight 10 guys, you walk two rooms over, you fight 10 guys. Like it really paces it out, which I applaud because I like, because less combat means more meaningful combat. And I definitely get a sense of that in this game. But I, I mean, it's fine. I'm not head over heels for it. Maybe it'll get better as I learn more about the story and figure out what's going on. But I also feel like it's one of those games that's kind of giving me the runaround. Like, the first objective you have in the game is to go through this, like, gate to hell. But in order to get through the gate, you have to challenge these, like, two gods that guard the gate. So you have to go in god number one's area and, like, go through his door and kind of go through his area and, like, solve the puzzles. And then you fight him. And then you go back to the lobby and you go through the other god's door. You go through his area. You fight him. And then you can finally get to the gate of hell. And then when you get across the bridge to the gate of hell, you kind of have to do it, not again, but you like get in a situation where it's like, oh, there's these three portals that you have to go through and solve these three things before you can go through this door to lead to the next area. And it's like giving me a little bit too much runaround. Like I kind of wish the game would just kind of get where it's going and not make me do like these kind of like tangential things to keep me on the linear path, but, uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe if they had done that, the game would only be like three hours long. And from what I understand, the game is like about seven ish hours long. So I may be about halfway through, but I mean, it's fine, but it's not, I'm not in love, but I don't dislike it. It's just like fine, I guess. Glowing review from Corey Motley. <laughs> you first. Seal of approval, Corey seal of yeah. approval.
0: <laughs> well, interesting. Um, I, <sighs> I mean, uh, I heard a lot of people really lavishing a lot of love on this game um, because of how it treats the mental illness. I mean, the way you describe it sounds interesting, but I mean, I don't know if that's enough for me to like have the game be carried just on the strength of that. I mean, maybe it'll change as things go on for you since you're not done with it yet. But I mean, it sounds cool, but I, you know, like kind of like you said, like it seems like just on paper, I would want a little bit more going on. Um, I'm a big fan of Ninja Theory. I I I don't like Heavenly Sword, but I've liked everything else they've done. And I, you know, like I said, I bought this to support them, and I'm really interested. But like from what you're describing, like it kind of doesn't really sound that interesting. <laughs> um, I mean, I also get it. I mean, I also play it. I mean, but uh, I guess, I mean, I mean, it sounds like what you're describing is you walk around, you do a little like weird puzzle, you fight a couple guys, and you walk around. But and the the hook of it is just you're like listening to these voices the whole time. I mean, is that is that a very reductive way of summing it up?
1: a uh, pretty much, yeah.
0: Huh. Okay. Well, geez. Uh, I guess finish it and let <laughs> us know what happens because it doesn't sound like that great. And I mean, I am not someone who suffers from mental illness, so I don't know how strongly these um, these themes would resonate with me. I do know a lot of people who I am friends with who do have different forms of mental illness said that it was very a powerful experience for them, and so I, you know, I wouldn't want to take that away from them, and I. I support more representation in games, et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, I don't know from what you're describing, it doesn't really sound all that interesting.
1: Yeah. Um, And I mean, to piggyback off the point you just made, which is something I had, I've been thinking about since I started this game is like, I, I don't have any mental health issues either. Like I, sometimes I suspect that I might have anxiety, but I don't really think I do. And I've never been diagnosed. I'm not depressed. Like I don't suffer from anything. And like, but there are a lot of people out there who have depression, who have anxiety, who have uh, you know like mental health issues, and I certainly don't want to make light of that in any way in any way because you know, I support you know the well-being of everybody who has anything going on like that. But I feel like this is one of those games where it just kind of boils down to, like, it's just kind of not for me because I don't, like, the people who have those issues, I would hope that this game would resonate with them. And they would maybe think, like, like wow, there's finally a game that kind of speaks to the way I feel or it speaks to the journey that I've been on and sort of lets me, like, experience that and maybe overcome that. Like, I don't know if she's going to, like... I mean, I don't think you ever like win against a mental illness, but I don't know if the game's going to set it up for that or if it's going to set it up to be like in the end, kind of like be something that she just has to kind of live with and manage. Um, So I I love the idea of this game being that thing for people who have uh, mental health issues that they can really relate to, but coming from me who doesn't and you who doesn't like I just feel like it doesn't resonate as strongly with me because of that and therefore it might not with you either
0: yeah I don't know I mean I guess yeah I mean possibly and I mean I probably a lot of it depends on the ending too because sometimes you know how things build up and how things end I mean who knows maybe that would be the bow that kind of ties it all together you never know um question though Uh, one thing about this game that was very, very celebrated and got a lot of attention was the audio design. Um, so just full disclosure, I'm not a guy who spends a lot of time listening to audio. It's not really that important to me. I don't remember soundtracks. I don't really often buy soundtracks. I don't, uh, you know, I don't recognize voice actors, um, very often. Uh, it's not, audio for me is something that just doesn't play a large part in my, in my game experience. I very often play games on mute because I just don't care or I'm in a place where (laughs) I can't listen to sound. Um, But I heard a lot of people saying that they did a great job with the sound here, like the directional audio and the way that it plays, and they strongly suggest that you use headphones. Now, for me, that's basically a no-go, because where I play games, uh, I I don't know if I've talked about this before or not, but my my living room looks like an internet cafe. In fact, when you were here in Seattle, did you come (laughs) over to my house, or did you not?
1: Yes, I was there.
0: Okay, so it's even more so than it was last time when you were here. We've actually made some changes to it. Um, So my (laughs) living room looks like an internet cafe, where we have consoles and TVs, It's very obvious to everybody who sets foot in my house that we play games as our primary form of entertainment and we like to do it as a family. It's a very social time for us. So I don't ever wear headphones because when I'm playing games, my wife is probably playing games like over to the other side of the room. My son is probably playing games on the other side. We're talking to each other. We're interacting all the time. Like, what are you doing? Oh, what's this? What's this? Hey, dad, look at this. Okay, looking at this. Like we're constantly like doing things with each other. Like it's never an experience where I'm like, in the zone where like the world is shut out and I'm so immersed and I'm just in my own world. I mean, that's really one reason why I'm not, I don't really, I'm not on the VR train either, because I could never imagine myself putting on a VR helmet and being separated from the environment that where I like to play games in. So I don't, I'm not going to put on headphones for this at all. I'm just not going to do it because that's just not how I play games. Uh, But did you wear headphones? And if you did, did you also try it without headphones? Like, did you feel like it added to the experience? It did not. I mean, what was your, what was your take on
1: that? I have played all of it with headphones and headphones for games is kind of a new experience for me. Maybe something I've only been doing in the past, maybe like a year or two, um, cause I've always paid attention to the audio in games. Like I don't play them on mute or play them turned down really. But, um, I got a PlayStation gold headset, which is a surround sound headset a couple years ago. And, uh, basically about probably like three quarters of the time when I start a new game, I try to play it with headphones on just to like see how much more immersive it makes me in the experience and like i don't really have the barriers of entry because usually if i'm playing in the living room i'll be like sitting by myself and playing and i won't have to worry about like other stuff going on around me um i did this the audio in the game is pretty fantastic and it is interesting to hear like you know some of the voices come through on the left headphone some of them come through on the right some of them sound like they're behind you i mean obviously it's like a surround sound situation um i i think it's good i enjoy it. But from a, like, gamers with disabilities perspective, because I know at Game Critics we talk about this a lot and we bring this up on the show sometimes, um, I actually, like, I don't think the game would be, like, unplayable or be, like, a disaster, like, if you don't have the sound up or aren't wearing headphones or something. But the, like, this, first of all, the subtitle situation is weird because any of, sort of, like, the ongoing little, like, bipolar e voices that are in her head the subtitles are on the very top of the screen and usually that dialogue is interesting but it's not like meaningful to the gameplay like it's not like a story narrative or something and then if the narrator is talking or if like a character is talking and it's like a meaningful story thing those subtitles are on the bottom of the screen and but not because the, the because the little voices in her head say things so rapidly not everything they say is subtitled and sometimes the stuff that's subtitled you don't hear them say so I don't know if that's like a design, like a, a really deliberate design decision that kind of says you know that maybe says something else about mental illness like you know maybe uh, I don't know you don't always know what the voices are saying in your head or something like that or if it's just a fact that like they technically couldn't put every subtitle for every single word that's being said on the screen all the time um, but the biggest disability-type barrier, which, I mean, if you have good hearing, this is great for gameplay, and if you don't, it's, it'll make it uh, a little bit of a disaster, is whenever you're in a combat situation, the camera is very close to Senua's back. It's almost like a Resident Evil 4, like, kind of over-the-shoulder thing. It's not like a Ninja Gaiden where you're, like, swinging the camera all over the place to see what's going on in the, in the environment, and so it's really easy for enemies to get behind you or get beside you, and you can't really see them unless you turn her all the way around. And the combat is not, like, really fast, furious combat. It's a little slower, a little more deliberate. But a cool thing is whenever an enemy is behind you or beside you and it's kind of out of your field of view and you're and it's about to attack, the, in it, the voices in her head will say, like, oh, they're behind you, or watch out, or someone's behind you, so you know when you hear that to, like, roll out of the way quickly or try to, like, you know, adjust your footing or maybe block or something, which I think is a really neat neat feature because there's a lot of times in the game where you're fighting more than one person, and you really can't see what's behind you, but as soon as you hear the voice, you know to roll out of the way or dodge or something. But if you don't have headphones on or don't have the volume turned up or don't, have good hearing or any hearing, I don't, I think that would be a lot more difficult and you would probably be taking a lot of cheap shots to the back because you wouldn't necessarily know to get out of the way.
0: Yeah, interesting. I was a little concerned about that because, I mean, I have fine hearing myself, but we do have um, a number of deaf and hard of hearing people who come to Game Critics and we are one of the only Uh, websites on the entire internet who actually bothers to put uh, information for deaf and hard of hearing players in our game reviews. We've been doing that for many years. So it's something that's really important to me. Um, So I mean, I so I mean, this kind of like branches out into like a larger question about what are accessible games? What does it mean to add accessibility options for players? How does that affect an artist's vision? I mean, these are big questions that people have been talking about. And there's I mean, I, to be fair, I think there's points to be made on both sides. Um, although I will say that I think in general, I think that for most experiences, there are ways to make things accessible for everybody. I mean, I get the voices and the directionality, and that makes sense to me. And I, I'm sure that's probably a very powerful um, effect for people who can hear. Uh, but for me, who sometimes doesn't have headphones on or doesn't even have sound on, or for people who can't hear, I mean, it seems like there's got to be a workaround. Maybe you could have like visual prompts on the screen that would simulate where the voices are coming from or some other type of visual effect. I mean, I'm a pretty creative guy. I know that game developers are also very creative people. I feel like there's probably a workaround for that. So um, that's a much larger discussion, though. I don't know if we want to broach that today. But (laughs) hearing what you're talking about, I mean, mm, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. I'll I'll give it a shot. I'll probably try with just regular audio. I might even try it with um, the audio off just to see how that works. But knowing that the developers were very keen on people using, well, very keen on hearing people using headphones is a very specific niche. And although that's probably the majority of players are probably okay with that, there are definitely uh, a sizable chunk of players who are not okay with that. And it's kind of weird to me that they were kind of going down that route. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I haven't tried it. We'll see. I'm sure we'll talk about it again. I would love to hear how this uh, wraps for you, if the ending may be gives you some more drama or draws draws you in a little bit more or you know maybe it's going to be just like uh, ho-hum all the way through we'll see i guess <laughs> Anyhow? Yeah, and if uh yeah.
1: i was just gonna say if you play it um by next week i would be interested to see like i know uh, my discussion on this game probably hasn't made you think that you like really want to dive into it anytime soon but uh if you do play it i'm i'd be interested to know what you think about it
0: i will not play it uh i can i can tell you right now when i told you originally that i was going to play it i had nothing to review in the space of time that we have talked since last time i think i have me personally i think i have two things to review and the tap is just open now like we had a couple weeks where things were pretty quiet but uh stuff is rolling in uh at game critics and i just i'm like if i get another window i probably will but probably not next week that is not that is not going to happen next week so i will i will look to you for one more
1: wrap-up and then that'll probably be it for a while all right we will come back to it then
0: all right cool 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 thank you very much for that breakdown one more game to go and then we will wrap this show um i don't have a lot to say but i didn't want to come to the show with anything less than two things to talk about but like straight up dude i have been playing Nothing but Monster Hunter World uh, since the last time we talked. I know that I was kind of lukewarm on it. I listened back to my to my segment on that show because I was like, ah, I felt like I was shitting on the game and I didn't mean to shit on it. <laughs> like, I, I just wasn't excited, you know? Like, I know that when I get really excited about a game on the show, I can really, I really want to, like, be a cheerleader for it and I try to explain what's so great about it. And I felt like I didn't really do the game justice last time. Um, So apologies for that, folks. I really do enjoy this game quite a bit. And it's all I've been playing. So obviously, I like it. I mean, I wouldn't play a game that was bad. Uh, But it was was weird at first. It was a little bit of a learning curve to get over. Because even as a Monster Hunter veteran, a lot of the systems are different. A lot of things are changed. The menus are changed. Options are changed. I mean, like lots of things are changed. And so I was kind of still learning it and unlearning some of it as well. And some You know, I just I just did, hadn't quite found my footing yet. And now, at this point today, I'm about, I don't know, 40 or 45 hours in, which is amazing. I don't know how I found the time to do that. Like, I mean, <laughs> I'm really tired, so it's probably just been subtracted from my sleeping hours. But uh, it helps that my entire family's playing it right now. So when my son is playing it, he wants me to play with him. When my wife is playing it, she wants me to play with her. So that's cool. Um, makes it tough to play other games because when your family's like, hey, Dad, come play with us. It's like, how do you say no to that, right? Like, I mean... Just as a little side note, uh, you know, when I was growing up, I've been a game game kid, like as long as I can remember. I mean, as, as long as games were around, I was into games and my parents, I don't have the best relationship with them. I've probably alluded to that a couple times in the show. We don't really get along. We don't have much of a relationship these days. They were not great parents and uh, I didn't have the greatest time growing up. And I can clearly remember a couple times when I would have like the Nintendo running on the TV or something. And my dad would just come in and like, no matter like where I was in the game, he would be like, shut it off. I'm going to watch some football. And I would just have to like immediately stop what I was doing and let him have the TV, you know, at the time when we shared a TV or like later on when I had my own TV, when I was older, I would be like, oh, dad, check out this new game and come play with me. And he'd be like, nah, like would never do it. It Like in my entire life growing up, my dad never, not even once played a video game with me. And it was like such a huge part of my childhood growing up. Um, and I remember that, like I remembered feeling like shitty because he didn't want to spend time with me and he wasn't interested in what I was interested in and he just was doing his own thing. And it just was not a very good way to feel growing up. I didn't like that feeling. And so when my son is like, dad, come, come play with me. I'm like, of course I'm going to do that. Of course. Because I know what it feels like to not have a father who does that. I do not want to be that dad. So, uh, whenever my son's like, come play with me, the answer is yes. When my wife is like, honey, come, uh, do some, uh, come up with me. And my, the answer is yes, of course I'm going to do that because I mean, how lucky am I that I have a wonderful family who likes the things that I like and they want me to do them with them. I mean, that is like a gift, dude. Uh, I feel so fortunate to do that. So I've been doing nothing but Monster Hunter ever since we've got it because everybody's into it. Everybody wants to play with each other. We're doing this all the time. That's all that's all I'm doing. So I've gotten much deeper into it now. I feel much more comfortable with the systems and with the changes. And I have to say it is a really excellent game. Like it is really, really good game. Um, Having played all the Monster Hunters, this one is definitely near the top. I don't know that it's my favorite, but some of that is nostalgia. And just like, frankly speaking, it is probably the best one because the systems are improved, much easier to play, much easier to get into. Uh, The difficulty is scaled in a much better way. I mean, technically speaking, it's the most beautiful Monster Hunter. It's the most technically accomplished. Uh, It's, you know, if you were to put them all on a table and just kind of evaluate them all on their merits, I mean, it would probably be the best one for sure. Uh, just as someone who's been in the series for so long. I do have my little my little foibles here and there. <laughs> um, but it's good stuff. It's good stuff. I definitely recommend it. And now that I'm into it, though, there are some strange things about it that I kind of wanted to talk about. And ironically, for a game that is so focused on multiplayer and for a game where I have so many people who want to play with me, I think that playing with your friends is the worst part of this game. <laughs> it is. It sounds bizarre to say it, but like... There are so many little speed bumps that you have to get over to play with your friends that it's really irritating. It's kind of irritating. Um, so like whenever my, my family wants to play, like usually my wife and I will go through the story mode together, but you can't do that here because if one person hasn't seen the cutscene of that particular mission, they cannot join the mission. So one person has to start the mission. They have to watch the cutscene then they have to quit out and then the other person will start that same mission. They'll get to that cutscene, they'll watch the cutscene, then the first person can jump in after that cutscene's over. It's a big fucking pain in the ass. It wastes a lot of time. <laughs> because I'll just be sitting around waiting while my wife is trying to get to the cutscene and then she watches it and I got to join in. And the load times are really long. Like, I mean, that's my number one complaint so far is like they really got to get these load times down. The load times are really painful. Um so like there's just a lot of sitting around, uh, which is really unfortunate because you want to get in, you want to have a high intensity experience, you want to just maximize the time that you've got. And when you're just sitting there staring at a fucking loading screen, or when you're waiting for a friend to get past a thing so that you can join them and they're waiting for you, it just is not good. Like, it is not good. I mean, it's not a game breaker and it's not going to discourage me from recommending this game, but like, it, they got to fix this shit because it is awful. But ironically, It is actually a better experience to play with randoms than it is with your friends, because what happens is there is an SOS system in this game where every character has a little flare gun and you can start a mission by yourself, do whatever you want, start playing. And if you get into trouble and you feel like, oh, this monster is too much for me, you pop your flare gun and that sends out a signal to the interwebs or whatever. And then anybody who sees that signal can come and join you, which is great. But what this means is, is like if you are a person who just wants to get in and get a quick match in, all you have to do when you're starting the game is look for people's flares, Rather than trying to find your friends, rather than trying to find out what part of the story they're in, rather than waiting for them to watch the cutscene, you just go to the list of people who have put out an SOS. It tells you exactly what mission they're in, what exactly what monster they're fighting, and you just jump in. You go straight in, you do the mission, you get your pieces that you carve off the monster, and then you're done. It is like so easy and painless and fast that it is like, it's breaking my brain that playing with your friends is actually more of a drag than it is to play with
1: randoms.
0: (laughs) So Capcom has got that backwards. I mean, I I don't want playing with randoms to be bad, but I think playing with your friends needs to be better and it needs to be fixed. So that's a really interesting thing. Um, The other thing too, kind of interesting is that a lot of people at Game Critics, we all have different tastes. You know this. I mean, you and I have different tastes. Uh, The other writers at the site all have different tastes and it's very, very rare that some game will come along where like everybody at game critics is playing it at the same time and into it and all like all like circling the wagons on a game is so infrequent. Like it almost never happens. But it is totally happening right now. I think pretty much everybody at Game Critics is playing this game. Almost. I mean I know you're not playing it. And there's maybe one or two other people that are not, but most of us are playing it. Uh when I jump on at nighttime, I see several of the other game critics people playing, which is again really rare. Like it's very rare that I jump on and I know somebody from the site who's playing and we're all like, uh, on a chat together talking about it. I mean, this is the most social we have been in quite some time because we live so far away. We're in different time zones. We like different genres. I mean, I think the last time that a game really brought game critics as a site together was probably the walking dead season one. Do you remember that when that, when that first hit, mm-hmm. did you play it?
1: I did, but I don't know if I played it at the same time as everybody else.
0: Hmm. Well, when that game came out, Walking, Walking Dead Season 1, I mean, that was like the only time we've ever had a unanimous uh, vote on Game of the Year at Game Critics. Everybody thought that was the best game that year. We all talked about it. We podcasted about it. We were all about it. And it's kind of the same t- same thing with Monster Hunter. So it really is a credit to Monster Hunter that with so many of us, I mean, granted, not everybody, but most of us, a lot of us who have so many divergent tastes and different time schedules and just different ways of life that we can all come together on this and play with each other and have such a good time. So it's it's really been positive, really fun. Um, you know, like I said, despite the part uh, that's bad about playing with your friends, but uh I've just really have been having a good time. Um I also really think that this is a game that really can cater to a wide variety of people because my son, who is eight, uh he likes playing this game, but he is not uh he's not up for the high stress situation of when you're fighting like some of the tough monsters but these worlds that you go into are so rich and diverse he spends hours like walking into like the levels and it's just like this giant ecosystem there's like big predators there's herbivores there's small little monsters there's bugs and he'll like follow these animals around and kind of study their little life cycle and like he can follow some of the bigger monsters around you can watch them go from their nest down to their feeding ground you can watch them feed you can go back and watch them Uh, get a drink of water. And you can just like spend like a really long time following them around and just kind of studying them and learning them. And he like super gets into that. So he'll kill some monsters too. But like he is really into like the nature part of it and just kind of like absorbing the ecosystem, which I think is really cool. It really goes uh, uh, a long ways towards Capcom's commitment to this game because in recent episodes of Monster Hunter, it's become very arcadey and very, very more action oriented, which sounds kind of weird because this is Traditionally, an action, you know, real-time action franchise, but it used to be more about the hunting and about the ecology. Uh, they used to make a lot of uh, CG videos where, like, it was all about the the animals' environment and their life cycle and what they were about and learning about their personalities and and how they lived in this world, that kind of fell away recently. And it became just more and more about having special moves and about just focusing more on making armor and weapons and about just, you know, getting some fast action in. But they've really brought back the environmental stuff with Monster Hunter World, which I think is wonderful because just going out in the world, seeing like the ambient life around you, you can uh, go through like a sunrise and a sunset and seeing how the environment changes and just picking up on all the little clues and a little, the million little touches that are in each environment is pretty special stuff. Um, if you really take the time to absorb all that stuff, it really shows how much time and effort they put into it. So uh, he's been enjoying that aspect of it. And I've been enjoying him enjoying that aspect of it. And it's just a really good experience overall. So I'm sorry that I didn't sound so excited about it last time. I, I really do enjoy this game a lot. I think there's a lot to, to say for it. And, you know, I'm like 40, 45 hours in. I wouldn't do that with the ba- the game that was bad. I'm going to finish this game for sure which apparently is about 80 or 100 hours. So I'm going to try to not talk about it every episode. I'm going to try to squeeze in some (laughs) other content uh, to spare you, Corey, and to spare the listeners from me constantly going on about it. But uh, yeah, it's really, really good. I mean, I think this is absolutely for sure going to be in my top 10 um, of the year. I don't know. I'm not not thinking it's going to be my number one game, but it'll be in my top 10 for sure. And uh, it's definitely Capcom's... I think, essentially, it's Capcom's best. I think it's probably fair to say, so very happy with it. Uh, a little bit of a learning curve, a few problems, but overall, really, really wonderful experience. And if you're on the fence, I would absolutely recommend that you get into it and, uh, you know, rent it at least or or give it a shot and find somebody to help uh, get you over the hump or at least uh, get a few starter's guides like the one I published to Game Critics. I've got some 11, <laughs> 11 not-so-obvious tips for Monster Hunter Beginners. Feel free to come over and check out those tips. I think those are pretty good tips. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Uh, hopefully this week has kind of made up for me sounding not so excited. Uh, I think this is great stuff. So do, I do recommend it.
1: Good. I'm glad that despite your, uh, I guess, mild excitement for it last week, that things are looking up for you and for Monster Hunter. And I mean, if you're already like 30 to 40 hours in, like that in and of itself is enough to show that you're passionate about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't entirely convinced that I was going to stay the course when I first started it up, but the longer I spent with it and the, the more comfortable I got with it, the, the, the more things were revealed to me and the more appreciation I had for it. I mean, it, 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 it sounds weird to say because, oh, Brad, you played all the monster games. You've played like thousands of hours and you're the expert on it. And why were you so feeling weird about it? But I just kind of was, you know, I mean, it changes hard sometimes. And, um, if something is really familiar then all of a sudden it's not so familiar, that makes you feel weird. But uh, now that I am feeling a little bit uh, more comfortable with it, I, I can definitely see like all of the positives. And I think that Capcom has done a wonderful job. Um, they really have taken an honest look at what they've done, really broken some of their bad habits, really taken an honest evaluation of what they're putting forward. And this is a very, very, very strong product. This is a very strong game. So it might not be to everybody's taste, and I totally um, respect that for sure. But no one can accuse them of resting on their laurels, and no one can accuse them of doing the same thing over again, because they have really done a lot on this game. Um, And I I am now coming around to really appreciating that. So yeah, definitely, definitely liking it. Definitely thumbs up. Definitely going to be one of the top 10 this year. Guaranteed. It's a lock. It's a lock.
1: (laughs) I can't believe it's like, uh, what are we, very beginning of February, and we're already just dipping a toe into the discussion of what's going to be in our top tens at the end of the year already
0: game of the year we got to get ready for it man. It's coming up in uh <laughs> 10 months <laughs> countdown's beginning
1: oh my god <laughs> anyway uh. that's all i got
0: from <laughs> monster hunter uh any questions or anything you want to add in uh you anything you want to wrap up dude
1: uh no i think um i have spoken my piece on my games and i think we can bring it home
0: Let's bring it home. This is the end of the show. Folks, thank you very much for listening. And also, quick reminder to stick around after the ending music for tonight's banter if you swing that way. Otherwise, feel free to bail now and we will catch you next week. In the meantime, please remember that you can send us comments, thoughts, feedback, ideas, anything else. Honestly, please send it to us. We would love to hear from you. Send it to sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com. You can also post comments for us at Game Critics after we post the show at Game Critics. Uh, there's a comment section there. We are also on Twitter as a show collectively at So Video Games. Also, you can reach us individually. Uh, my name is Brad Galloway, B R A D G A L L A W A Y. All A's, no O's, my name. Corey, what is your Twitter handle, sir?
1: Mine, I like, first of all, whenever you led into that, because you said you can also reach us individually, and you didn't say on Twitter, and then you just started spelling your name, so, like, I thought that was kind of funny. Um. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry if that was good. I mean,
0: yeah, I mean, like, don't don't reach me. Into, I mean, on Twitter is fine. I mean, don't, like, you know, if you see me in the bus or something, like, don't bother me unless I seem like I'm, you know, ready for a conversation. I mean, but... On Twitter, if you
1: just walk. If you walk out your front door and spell Brad's entire name out loud, he just appears. I just in front appeared of you. In, a, <laughs> in a puff of brimstone. I'm here.
0: What's your comment? Share it with me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I am also I, I cannot teleport, but I am on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is my first and last name as well. It's Corey Motley. C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y excellent
0: excellent and that'll bring us to the end of another so video games we will be back next week with another installment
1: and for now this is bye from brad and bye from Corey. we will see you guys next week
0: So Wendy's dude, you just brought up Wendy's. Oh my God. Uh, I've been meaning to talk about this for a while. I'm glad you brought it up because I, uh, I love Wendy's, but actually we uh, recently decided to stop supporting Wendy's. Did we talk about this before or not?
1: We have not, but is this going to be in reference to, like, the tomato scandal yeah, thing Yeah, the that fucking they tomato
0: thing, dude. I'm so, so okay, bummed. Okay, so f-
1: fill me in, because I have to be honest. I don't know everything about this situation.
0: There has not been a lot of info. Okay, so here's what happened. There was a report a while ago um, saying that a lot of the tomatoes that fast food restaurants get are coming from Mexican farms, uh, which is fine. Mexico's great. Love Mexico, uh, our friend across the border. But what happened apparently is people went down there from the United States to do, to find out about these farms and see what the conditions were like, you know, kind of like a fair trade sort of a thing. And they found out that these farms are basically being run by slave labor, where some oh of the people God. are like not getting paid. Some people are not able to leave. Like, you know, there's like all sorts of horrible conditions, like physical abuse and stuff. And so uh, when the, the people saw that, they're like, holy shit, like, you know, we can't, we can't be like supporting slave labor farms down here in Mexico so there was an agreement drafted uh, that was put to all of the major fast food restaurants in America, saying, "Hey, we're not going to be supporting this particular farm or this network of farms in Mexico. So let's get our—you know—we may have to pay point zero 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 two cents more per tomato, uh, but let's do that and let's not support these farms." So everybody signed up: Burger King, McDonald's, uh, Carl's Jr. You know, whatever. Like all the major, all the major fast food places signed up, except wendy's and they're like i don't know what's wrong with tomatoes our tomatoes are great and it's like yeah that's not the point the point is the tomatoes are fine like physically they're fine they taste fine but the point is they're being grown by slave labor so let's not support that and Wendy's like nah whatevs so i was like oh my god like uh like wendy's is like one of the only fast food restaurants that's near my house i love the spicy chicken sandwich it's like super delicious we go there like we used to go there like all the time not i mean not like all the time, but, you know, whenever we'd go to fast food, it would usually be Wendy's. And now it's like I we just haven't been going because I can't in good conscience support something that, you know, that supports slave labor. It's like, why did you guys – like, the only guy, the only guys in America that don't do it. Like, why do you not do it? Everybody else – McDonald's is doing it. Good enough for McDonald's has got to be good enough for Wendy's. They don't do it. Like, what the fuck?
1: You know, this brings up a really uh, – kind of like maybe it's like an, like an international import-export thing that – Has always been fascinating to me, and I'm not one to, you know, like, I don't know anything about, like, I don't have, like, an international business degree or anything, but, you know, whenever it comes to goods and services in the United States, like, if you go to any, you know, if you go to Walmart, if you go to Target, if you go wherever, you know, like, what is it probably, like, 90% of the stuff, or, you know, a very high percentage of stuff that's on the shelves, like the shoes or, you know, tools or whatever, you know, it's, it's all made overseas or it's made, you know, like the clothes are stitched in probably some like sweatshop in like Indonesia or something. And, and, and it kind of reminds me of like, like when you think about um, like Apple too, because like, it seems like every like three years, there's a big scandal about, um, Apple, you know, who makes iPhones and stuff, about how they have, like, the iPhone processing plants that are over in China, and they basically, like, um, like, you know, it's, like, pretty, it seems like pretty awful working conditions. Like, they have people that basically live in company-owned dorms, and they, like, live in the dorms, and they basically wake up, they go, like, downstairs to the workshop to, like, assemble the phones, And then they go back upstairs and they sleep in, like, the company-owned housing. And there's, like, every once in a while there's a story about, like, how, you know, they have to install nets outside the windows so that the uh, factory workers don't jump out the windows and kill themselves and stuff like that. And it's just, like, uh, you know, like, I—obviously I support, um, you know, not— like I, I don't support those kind of working conditions, nor um, you know, nor do I like condone them or anything like that. But at the same time, like there are there's like lines everywhere on like what you will and what you won't stand for. And I mean, the iPhone is like the top selling you know smartphone in the world or whatnot and it's just like it's like if you dig deep enough into any any company ever you're gonna find some shit that's gonna rub you the wrong way and like individually you have to learn when to say when on situations like that and it just makes it it's like every single company or every single product that you pick up to buy there's going to be some kind of like ethical misstep along the way of getting it from wherever it was to getting it in your hands whenever you pay for it and I just like stuff like that like the Wendy's thing and like Apple and even like uh, like makeup brands because like I've talked about on the show that I wear makeup sometimes there's like a big thing about cruelty free makeup and like animal testing and makeup and stuff like that and people that don't like that will only buy cruelty free brands and you know it's just like it's such a big rabbit hole and it's like impossible to like, I feel like unless you're like a farmer that's just like on a land and like living off your own land, it is so impossible to be a citizen in the United States and to be like totally ethically living, like as a consumer. And it just, I don't know, it just makes me think of stuff like that. This whole Wendy's thing.
0: Well, I mean that's a good point. Um, I mean, and you're right. Like you're totally right. Like absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, I guess, I guess for me, part of it is that if I know about something, then I will, I will make a choice. So like, I mean, granted, I'm sure that there's a lot of these things going on and I just, maybe I just don't know about them. I mean, I don't, uh, you know, full disclosure, I don't like research the, you know, the chain of custody for all goods that come into the United States that I eventually <laughs> buy. I mean, that would be like a full-time job and I wouldn't even know how to even go about researching some of that stuff. But um, so that's, that's one thing. I mean, part of it is just like ignorance, right? Like, I fully disclose, like I I do not know where all of my goods come from. And I don't know if everything that I buy is slave labor or if it's not or whatever. So that's, that's on me. And I own that. But if I do come across something that I hear about, like, for example, this Wendy's thing or like the Apple thing, you know, Foxconn, which is like the biggest electronics manufacturer in the world, and they work with like pretty much every company. Those guys are big into slave labor. I've heard tons of horror stories. But like you said, they manufacture the iPhone. I think they also manufacture Android. I mean, basically every smart device Foxconn has a hand in at some point. Um, there's a huge Chinese corporation. So, like, I, I mean, I guess for me, I mean, this is not a perfect situation. I mean, like you said, I wish I could be an Amish farmer somewhere, me and my donkeys. And, like, I would know that I would never spank them so that they were cruelty-free donkeys. And, like, you know, I could have donkey milk and whatever. And we would all be friends. and That would be great if that was possible. But it's not possible. So, like, I guess for me it comes down to... Number one, if I know about something, like if something is brought to my attention, then I have to act on it. And then what is my choice? So like in the case of Wendy's, I love the chicken sandwich. I love the spicy chicken sandwich. You don't even know how much I love the spicy chicken sandwich. (laughs) But like, but, but the fact is I can live without a spicy chicken sandwich. Uh, We haven't been there since I've heard about this whole tomato debacle. I'm waiting for them to sign on to the agreement because if they, if they, if they go back to buying like, you know, non-slave tomatoes, then I'd be happy to go back. I would buy two chicken sandwiches next time. But they haven't done it yet, as far as I know. But like, so stuff like that, I'm just like, I'm just not going to go and buy the spicy chicken sandwich. Every time that I would have bought a spicy chicken sandwich, I will instead go to Taco Bell and get some garbage on a tortilla because it's the only other place that's around here that I can get, you know, because sometimes I'm on the way to work. I need fast food because I just don't have time to cook. I'm on, you know, out the door, etc., cetera, et cetera. So Taco Bell gets my business instead of Wendy's. So that's a choice <laughs> I can make. And Taco Bell does get ethically grown tomatoes, as far as I know. They were on the tomato agreement. But when it comes to something like the tomato agreement, uh, I don't, sorry, I don't know what it's actually called, but there's you know some kind of big official thing anyway. But like when it comes to like an iPhone, that's like a very, very tough call because in my particular case, uh, almost all of the work that I get comes to me via email on my iPhone because I'm out and about all day long. And a lot really depends on me being able to get those messages and respond to those messages in a very short order and to be on, uh, you know, to be available uh, to someone that needs something right away. Like that is literally how I make my living. If I was not connected uh, to an iPhone, I would not be able to get work. I would not be able to pay my bills. We would be broke and homeless in a very short order. So there's currently no other way to do my line of business without having an iPhone or mobile device of some kind. And since basically every single mobile device has this kind of slave labor in it, I'm kind of screwed, right? Because I don't want to support those practices, but at the same time, if I don't participate by having a smartphone of some type, I guaranteed will not get work. I will lose my job uh, and my family will be on the street. So like for me in this particular case, even though I know that this is not a good practice that I don't want to support, I can't think of another way uh, for me to continue to support my family and to like eat and to keep my apartment and to live without supporting this particular device so i mean it's really tough i mean if there was some other way to do it i would but i can't think of anything and you know you got to do what your work demands you to do otherwise you are out of a job and i don't have a lot of other skills like you know it's not as easy as we'll oh, just get another job because you know you got to make a certain amount of money you're in a certain uh location you have certain skills what's available what's not available so it's really tough um and so i guess i guess I am a willing participant because I choose not to, you know, get a new job or whatever. I'm not able to get a new job. But at the same time, I mean, I think I try to, I don't know, push back a little bit because I don't update my phone as, you know, very often. I mean, I think last time I bought a phone was like maybe three or four years ago. So I'm not like constantly feeding the machine. I mean, I know that's like, you know, I don't know, like putting a band aid on a gaping wound. But <laughs> I mean, it's like in this particular case, it is serious. Like I need to feed my family and provide. So this is I have to participate. But, you know, I can skip a chicken sandwich. Even though I miss it very much, um, so I guess that's where I draw the line. Um, so no easy answers, man, and no
1: no quick fix for this. Totally, and I by no means was trying to like call you out or anything on that. Oh situation. no, I didn't think you were. Um, I didn't think you were. Yeah, no, I figured. No. I just want to clear that up because, and I mean, I do the same thing. Like, you know, like Chick Fil A, for instance. Like Chick Fil A, you know, is a very like religiously rooted company, and yes, their chicken sandwiches are delicious, but. I do not feel comfortable ever eating there. So I, I mean, I've had Chick-fil-A like a handful of times in my life, maybe like dozens of times, but um, like a few years ago, I stopped eating there and, uh, and, um, and I mean, that's, I guess like I can try to tie a bow on this conversation and say that that's like the beautiful thing about uh, living in this um, generation and about like social media, because, you know, 20 years ago, you would have no way of finding this kind of stuff out unless some like newspaper or TV station did some kind of like deep undercover op or like investigative report or something. but now we have social media and it's so easy to figure out what kind of like dirty shit is going on with like corporations or with restaurants and stuff. But the bigger problem at hand is that every corporation has dirty stuff going on. so you just have to like pick and choose uh, based on what you hear like what you can I guess handle supporting and what you want to you know pull your your coin away from. Oh, God.
0: You know, it is true. But, I mean, on, on the other hand, you also hear about some good things, too. I mean, certainly every corporation has some dirty laundry. But I guess it depends on what kind of dirty laundry you're okay with and what you're not. I mean, speaking of Chick-fil-A, there, did, there was one open, that opened up here near my, where I live. We don't have a lot of Chick-fil-A, so it was kind of a big deal. People were really excited. Like, people who knew about it were like, oh, Chick-fil-A. And, I mean, Lions were, like, around the block. But, like, I knew that they are a very homophobic corporation. So I've never been there. I've never tried it. Will not support them. Same thing for Hobby Lobby. My wife uh, does a lot of crafts. She used to go there all the time until we found out that they are religious fucking nutsos. Also also very homophobic. Also, they got busted for like stealing artifacts out of Iran a couple years ago. They were like paying people to like rob their national artifacts. I'm like, what the the fuck is Hobby Lobby doing stealing Iranian national artifacts? That's crazy bonkers bullshit. So like we don't go to Hobby Lobby anymore. Fucking, um, my wife is a big fan of Jelly Belly, Jelly Beans, homophobic as shit. They totally pay for, like, all these anti-gay organizations. We haven't bought a single Jelly Belly since we found out about that. So, you know, there's a lot of people out there, and we choose. Like you said, we choose. We make these choices if we know about them. And uh, along with finding all the dirty laundry, it's nice to hear about other companies. Um, unfortunately, I don't have any examples of good companies right now. <laughs> but
1: <laughs> <laughs> There are no good companies. <laughs> <laughs>
0: there, there must be one out there, but at least you can. at least we know not to support the ones that we know about, and we can, you know, slowly, slowly try to make the
1: world a better place by not supporting people who are fucking assholes (laughs) i really enjoy whenever um like i sit down with you to record and in the back of my mind i'm thinking like man i don't really have like any like super big banter topics to talk about today like what in the world are we going to talk about and then we sit down and i'm like oh yeah i have a wendy's coke and then we launch into this big discussion about like Corporations and social media and international business and ethics and business and stuff like that.
0: (laughs) That is the beauty of the Soviet Games banter section, my friend. It's magic, magic. (laughs) Well, it's it's funny you say that because before the show, I was also thinking I didn't got nothing to talk about at all. This has been like a really, I I work in so many hours. I was so slammed at work. I haven't done shit, and uh, I was like, oh my god, I got like zero topics the script is like so thin this week i'm like oh my god there's like nothing on the script what are we gonna do uh but yeah i guess we're i guess we're winging it um since since we're just throwing shit out there i wanted to i don't know if you know about this or not i don't know if you even, i don't know if you even care or not but we'll find out uh, <laughs> uh i've never seen game of thrones have you seen game of thrones
1: i patrick has seen every single episode but i have only seen maybe two entire episodes maybe All right, so not a fan. No, and it's not like, I mean, I've said it before on the show, like, I lean sci-fi and future, and Game of Thrones is definitely not that, so I'm just not really interested in it. All right, cool. I have
0: actually never read the books, although I have read books by that author, other books, but not those books. I've never seen the show. Uh, Why did I not see the show? I think at first because I didn't have access to it for whatever reason. I think I was between cable providers or some shit at that time. And then when it got like really popular and people started going ape shit over it, I was like, oh, well, I'm just going to wait because I don't know. It just seemed like people were getting too crazy about it. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to get sucked into it. I'm like, eh, whatever. So I've never seen Game of Thrones. I don't really have an opinion on Game of Thrones. I mean, maybe I'll watch it someday uh, when it's over. And when me and the wife are like at our retirement home, when we're sitting in our tiny house in my (laughs) son's backyard and we've got nothing to do and we'll watch that. Uh, We'll binge that like crazy. But I bring this up. Because it was just announced today, hot scoops, hot off the press, fresh news, that two of the showrunners of Game of Thrones are actually being handed the keys to a brand new Star Wars trilogy of films. So I know you're not the biggest Star Wars fan. Any feeling on that announcement?
1: My feeling on that announcement is, for fuck's sake, can we get something other than a white guy to direct a Star Wars movie? (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, did you did you know that they were white guys? Did you know that?
1: Yeah, because I saw it on Twitter earlier. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> like, like, just come on. Like, can we get, like, a woman to direct a Star Wars movie? And, in, you know, in the same vein, can we get, like, a woman or a black man or a black woman or an Asian lesbian woman or something to direct, like, a James Bond movie or a Mission Impossible movie or something? Like, I'm so tired of white dudes doing everything and i'm a white guy and i'm tired of white dudes doing everything and i wish that they would let someone else have a turn i guess
0: yeah i agree with that i'm definitely all for more representation and opening up opening up things i mean white guys, you know white a white guy can make a good movie that is absolutely true but so can everybody else and i think that a lot other people deserve a shot just like they do so i, I am definitely on board with that um as far as like what all the hubbub was, I mean, a lot of people are just like freaking out because I mean, like, I mean, I thought everybody loved Game of Thrones. I guess I'm not in that, that circle, but a lot of people are like, oh, my God, you know, Game of Thrones and Star Wars. No, but it's like I, I feel really mixed about this because um, even though I, I said I wasn't really going to get into the, you know, the the outcry against The Last Jedi and stuff. It's, I've been exposed to like a pretty steady stream of haters who just really don't like that movie. And if you don't like that movie, that's fine. But I th- I hear a lot of bullshit reasons for people not liking that movie. And what it really seems to me is like people who just don't like people of color or didn't like the women in that movie, and they're just like ba- lashing out against it for that reason because I don't hear a lot of like legit criticism of that film. And I kind of wonder like. Is that also parlaying into this Game of Thrones thing? I mean, I don't know whether Game of Thrones is good or not, but like, I, it seems like there's a lot of like angst about Star Wars right now, and it's like we have the original trilogy that will never change; those movies will be there forever. Um, I mean, I know that George Lucas kind of fucked with them a while ago, so <laughs> it changed a little bit, uh, but you can still go back and watch those. It doesn't; nothing is going to happen to those movies, right? So, like, unless you want that series to just be over, someone's got to make the movies. George Lucas proved that he, you know, fucking. Uh, Shit him into a garbage fire and like he set set you know the whole world ablaze with his, tri- his prequels and those were not good so george lucas is not the right guy personally i think the recent star wars movies have all been very good not perfect but very good i've really enjoyed them and if you want more star wars if you're a star wars fan and you want to see more films someone has to make them i mean i you just i mean what do you got to do i mean you, you can't hold on to these precious memories forever and it feels like a lot of this is just pushback against people who just like think that Star Wars is so precious that no one should touch it ever. It's got to be done one particular way, no other way. And that's all there that can be. I'm just getting kind of frustrated because if you love something, you know, set it free, like they say. And set it free in this case, meaning let somebody else direct a couple films. Maybe these Game of Thrones guys are not the right guys, but you can't just sit there and poo-poo things. And like, what? You want George Lucas back? He doesn't want to come back. Or like, what do you... I mean, what are you going to do? Just say goodbye to Star Wars forever? That you'd rather have that than no more movies? I don't know. I'm just really frustrated with all these like this... Ah, oh, it just seems like a lot of just really like, um, just really bad attitude about movies lately. Real, because kind of nastiness and people being really entitled, like to their to their perception of what a movie should be. You know,
1: I am. I cannot believe that you would accuse the internet of being outraged over the announcements of things, Brad. Oh, I know, I know. It's never happened before. I know. That is just wild.
0: I mean, along the same lines, I don't know if you've heard about this or not, but people, um, some people were saying. Oh, we're DC fans. And I mean, I don't even understand the logic of this, but they're saying that somehow Marvel is somehow actively making the DC movies worse. And so they're going to go and like protest Black Panther and like they're going to go online and give it like a zero review to every place that hosts movie reviews. And I'm like, you know what? You guys are just fucking racist. That's all you guys are. Marvel's doing nothing to DC. DC's fucking up their own movies all on their own. Thank <laughs> you very much. And Black Panther is like the blackest superhero movie that's ever been. And you guys didn't protest at the last couple of Marvel movies. Why are you protesting Black Panther? That seems awfully, awfully
1: convenient. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I... Like... I I just don't, like... Can you, like... Okay, can you imagine... I hate saying that, because I hate whenever I read tweets that say that start with that. Like, can you imagine? But I, I just, I have to say it for this. Like, can you imagine hating something so much that you actively spend a lot of time and energy out of your life that could be used to do any plethora of things that you would enjoy doing but instead you take that time and you use it to actively tear down other things for people whenever you could be like doing something that you enjoy like i can't Like, if I don't like something, I try not to waste a lot of time and energy on it, and I know that I have rubbed some people the wrong way, like on the podcast, for instance, where I will shit on something that I don't like— but I mean, on the podcast is kind of an exception because we're supposed to, like, we're here to talk about things. Like, we're, we're not just going to come on the show and be like, oh, yeah, I played this game. It was fine. Next game, like, we want to talk about the games. And, <laughs> you know, it's like the same thing with writing. Like, on Game Critics, you're not going to write, like, a three-sentence review that's like, oh, I played this and it was fine. Like, six out of ten. Like, I mean, this is kind of an aside because we're here to discuss things. But, like, if I don't like things, I try to just not like them. And move on and try to find something else that I like. Like, I I just, I just cannot, I mean, I guess I can believe, but it's just wild to me that there are so many people out there that spend so much time and energy disliking things whenever they could just be liking things instead.
0: Yeah, I totally agree, dude. I mean, I, when you see the amount of like haters and people who, like, I mean, like you said, like the hours of their day, like we constantly talk about not having enough time I literally can't imagine taking time out of my already packed schedule to go and hate something that I don't like. I don't have enough time (laughs) for the things that I love. Why would I go and hate something? That's like taking even more time away from me. Like, it makes no sense. And it just makes me think that these guys, uh, and usually it's guys, I mean like 90% of the time it's fucking guys. Uh, you know, like you, you hate something so much, like you're, you're actively preventing yourself from having other experiences by focusing on the thing that you say that you hate. It makes no sense at all. And it's like, as, as I've said earlier, like, if you don't like something, all you have to do is do nothing. Because if you do nothing, you will not engage with that thing. That thing will not be dropped in your lap. You don't have to see that thing. Just go do something else. It, all you have to do is nothing. And yet people can't do nothing. They feel compelled to go and, like, destroy this thing that they think they are against or that they hate. And it's just fucking pathetic, dude. Like, how pathetic is it? You've got nothing else in
1: your life to fill that void that you need to fill it with hate. That is just ridiculous to me. <laughs> oh, boy. I just... I would not want to live my life wired that way. That's for sure.
0: Ugh, so sad. So sad.
1: Anyway, changing just tone for a little bit.
0: Since we are talking about Black Panther, I'm fucking stoked, dude, that Black Panther's coming out in like 10 days. I am super excited. Apparently, the guy from uh, Fandango got on and he said that they had the like the most pre-ticket sales ever of any movie ever for Black Panther, which I thought was pretty awesome. Uh, it looks great. I mean, all the, the trailers I've seen are like really incredibly stylish and interesting uh, we're not going to be there day one because we don't go to anything on day one because we're just, we don't like to be <laughs> packed into a theater like that. But we will be there like on week one or, uh, you know, maybe like day eight or something once the crowds are dispersed a little bit. But We are for sure going to go check
1: it out. I know you're not a huge Marvel fan, but are you going to check this one out or not? I am. I'm not a big I mean, I don't have like a big problem with superhero movies. I just kind of pick and choose the ones I watch, which is really hard to do now these days because they all fucking tie into each other at this point. But uh, I'm definitely planning on seeing Black Panther probably like week one or two as well. And um, I thought about this the other day, but didn't talk about it on the show. Um, I actually went like two or three weeks ago. I went and saw the movie I, Tanya, uh, with Margot Robbie. With oh, did a few you? Weeks ago. Did,
0: did we talk about that? We, did we not didn't talk about
1: that. I have not talked about it. Um, and the movie, I want to say the movie was good. Like, I'm the, the thing I'm going to say next is going to make the movie sound terrible, but the movie was good. But the most emotional i got in the theater was seeing the preview for black panther before seeing i in the theater (laughs) oh man it gotcha huh yeah i mean i have really come to love movie trailers and i um and and there i mean there's an obvious aspect to black panther um and i i can relate to it in like a minority way like being a gay man where just like seeing like a wide representation of an underrepresented group of people in the media and like just knowing how excited like black people are that they like finally have this thing that they can love and that represents them and that's supposed to be like you know kind of like a game changer for superhero movies um it just makes me feel really good it makes me feel really special for them that that they have something that they can really um that they can just, that's just for them. Like, it's just for them. And of course, you know, white people can enjoy it. And, you know, Mexicans can enjoy it. And, you know, every every walk of life can enjoy it. But, like, this movie is made and sold by black people for black people. And it just makes me so happy that they finally have this thing. I mean, like, it makes me think of a, maybe there'll be a day when There's a movie with all gay superheroes or something, you know, like and then maybe that would be like for me or, you know, or for lesbians or for transgender people or something like that. And um, it just makes me really happy to see this thing made for a group that doesn't usually get this kind of thing. It makes me really happy and really proud for them.
0: I totally agree. I totally agree. And if if I can just um, pat myself on the back for a moment here. Uh, and be and be really self congratulatory for a second. <laughs> uh my son is like super jazzed. He's super excited to go see this movie. And it's like it's the black part of it is not even a thing for him. He's just like, Oh, Black Panther's awesome. Like it doesn't it doesn't occur to him, like he's never had that moment of like, Oh, am I okay to like Black Panther because I'm white and he's black? He's just like, Yeah, Black Panther you know, so like he's totally like all about it and I'm really glad that um you know, my wife and I are, are just, like, raising him in that way. Like, where if it, if it was me and my family, my dad was racist. He was fucking racist. And he wouldn't have gone to see this movie. And he probably would have prevented me from seeing this movie when I was a kid. Uh, and so, for me, I, re- I feel really good that, like, we um, are making a different choice parenting. And for him, it's just, like, another awesome Marvel movie. And he's totally on board. And he's all about it. And it's not even, like, a factor for him. So, I'm really happy that... Um, But that is how we kind of run our our house. And I see more and more people these days that are kind of, like, getting on board with that. So it's really good. I'm really happy that despite the fact that there's a lot of bad shit going around these days and a lot of, you know, awfulness in the world, um, you can make small changes. And, uh, like, when I see a kid who, like, genuinely likes something, no matter what it is, whether it's my kid or other kids that I meet, that makes me feel pretty good. So I do feel like there's still hope in the world. Um, So. And it's it's all due to me. It's it's, it's thanks to me, actually. So. Uh, if you guys want to send in emails, thank me for that. That's fine. I'll take those. No problem. Um, <laughs> I've been kind of dominating the banter here. What, what do you got on your plate, man? You got anything else cooking?
1: Um, I don't have a lot. I just wanted to say, um, uh, like, uh, you know, I live in New Orleans now, obviously. I've been here for almost a year. And Mardi Gras season is kicking up in New Orleans. And last year, when Patrick and I moved here we moved here like two weeks after Mardi Gras, I think, or maybe like three weeks or something. So we had just missed it. And <clears throat> I don't think that I had like really fully prepared for exactly what all that's going to be. And by the time we record the next show, it'll be like pretty much over. So I can kind of come back to and talk about like the wrap up of Mardi Gras. But like uh, you know, Mardi Gras technically like, like the day quote unquote that it is, is on like fat Tuesday, which is next Tuesday. And like, I guess the thing in Louisiana and like in the New Orleans area is pretty much like everybody, but uh, like service workers are off work on Monday and Tuesday. Uh, so like, I don't know. I have a four day weekend this weekend, thanks to Mardi Gras, which is pretty fucking rad. Like I'm excited about that in and of itself. And like one of my coworkers at work was telling me about how she's like, yeah, you basically like, have to have the day off because you can't you can't get anywhere anyway because there's, like, so many parades and there's so much going on and, you know, there's so many people out that there's, like, entire chunks of town that are just completely blocked off for parade routes and you can't go anywhere. And it's interesting for me because <clears throat> um, I have a very, like, uh, like, black and white nature with with this kind of stuff, with going to this kind of stuff, like, because I have a tendency to get really irritable whenever i'm in big crowds and get like like kind of just like shut down a little bit and get like quiet and um you know kind of like anxious and like um just kind of like mad i guess uh, whenever i'm in crowds but it's not all the time it only happens sometimes and i have no way of knowing if it's going to happen because there have been situations where like some of us will go out downtown, like we went to a parade a few weekends ago, it was like a nighttime parade thing, and I was like pretty excited to go, and then like as soon as we got downtown, and kind of like struggled to find parking, and then had to walk a bunch of blocks to get to the thing, I was just like, oh man, like I don't, I don't want to be here, I don't want to do this, I'd rather be at home playing video games, like, and I know I, it's kind of like a downer situation, but um so, I, but, like, a few days ago, we went to another parade, a daytime parade that was um, a dog parade. It was, like, a bunch of owners and their dogs, and it was Game of Thrones themed, and it was so amazing. And I took my camera, because if I go during uh, daytime parades, I like to take pictures and try to get, like, really good pictures. And I took, like, uh, like hundreds of pictures of all these, like, amazing dogs, and they were, they were some of them had, like, wigs on, and they had, like, costumes, and some of them were in carriages, and... It was, like, really good. I had such a good time, and it was so amazing. And I took a lot of great pictures, and I can't wait to get them all edited and sh- and share them and everything. But, like, I don't know, like, how my, my like, psyche is going to react whenever I get into a crowd situation like that, if it's going to be, like, good or bad. And it only triggers, like, when I get there. So, like, I'm kind of, like, tentatively excited for Mardi Gras, but at the same time, I'm worried that... If I go do anything, I'm just going to end up being, like, irritated the whole time. And I can't, like, I I just, like, don't, I don't know, I can't, I I haven't sorted this all out in my head, but I'll be interested to see, like, how the week goes, I guess. Is it because
0: of, like, the hassle of dealing with it? Or is it, like, more of, like, a you actually have, like, an aversion to, like, being in small spaces or being around too many people? Like, is it like a... um
1: an anxiety kind of thing, or is it just, like, just, just so much of being a pain in the ass? I think it's a little bit of both, because I don't have, like, claustrophobia or anything. Like, I'm not scared of small spaces or of being, like, necessarily, like, around people. But I think some of it is the irritation of just, like, getting there and, like you know driving 20 minutes to get downtown driving another 20 minutes just to find a place to park and thinking that maybe you didn't park in the right spot and your car is going to get towed and then like walking 10 blocks to get to the thing you're doing and just like being around a bunch of like drunk people that are like 10 years younger than me and and just like people like sloshing around and so i don't know it's like a little bit of both like part of it is just like the getting like the irritation of like everything you have to do to get there and then the other part of it is like I guess it kind of, like, rides on the back of that, of thinking, like, oh, man, we just went through this trouble to get downtown, and, like, this is what we're here for, like, to stand in a crowd of, like, drunk people and stuff, so, I don't know, I think it's a little bit of both.
0: Well, I hear you, I mean, I don't have anxiety in that way either, but I I get really irritated also, I don't like to do a lot of those things, I think part of it is because I feel, like, so pressed for time. Um, that when I do finally have some time, I don't want to like, like do anything like that where it's kind of a hassle because I feel like that's a waste of my free time. Like I'd rather do something that's like very high enjoyment factor and very low irritation factor and parades and dealing with crowds and stuff is usually like the inverse of that. So I, I definitely hear you, although I'm curious to uh, hear what you think about it after it's over. So maybe next week we can circle back and uh, we can, you can give us the lowdown on, New Orleans Mardi Gras, I'm sure some of our listeners maybe don't know a lot about it. I don't know a lot about it, but maybe once you've been through uh, been through, it, is this your, your first Mardi Gras since you've been down there? Yeah, it will be. Okay, so why don't you give us like prep for the full report next time. Um, <laughs> we'll collect all the listeners' emails. We'll send out like some text files. We'll get some pictures going on. We'll get everybody on the in, in the loop and we'll just, we'll have a big uh, a big discussion about it. So sounds good. Anything else uh, on, your, on your plate,
1: ma'am? Uh, I don't think so. That's pretty much it for me.
0: All right, cool. I just want to give a couple really quick things and then we can uh, roll on with the show. Uh, Some of this is game-related, but I'm just going to do it here so we don't have to disrupt the script because I don't want to rewrite the script because I'm lazy. (laughs) Uh, First, heads up to people who are fans of Darkest Dungeon. They just announced a physical edition. So if you are a person who likes physical discs, there's going to be a PS4 version and a Switch version. Uh, which includes all of the DLC and then the disc and the nice little nice looking case. That's being put out by Signature Editions and they are a UK-based company. They are like pretty much the only competition to uh, limited run games, which is another company which takes uh, download-only games and makes physical copies of them. <clears throat> Excuse me. As far as I know, they are the only two companies who do this. Uh, and Signature is the newer one, but they have been making real big strides. They put out a pretty good product. I did buy the Count Lucanor from them. I bought the physical copy, and it was a very nice package. Uh, the case was great. Uh, the art book that came with it was awesome. The soundtrack was nice. I mean, it was just a very nice package. Uh, so I, I, I pre-ordered Darkest Dungeon. I mean, I think I, I own Darkest Dungeon at least two times, but I really would like to have a disc, and it looks like a good package. So heads up, that that's available. Pre-orders are open right now. Hopefully, they will still be open by the time you hear this podcast, uh, and I think they're going on sale Relatively soon, uh, so please, if you're that kind of person, get your order in ASAP. Also, um, just a quick heads up instead of doing weekly Warframe this week, I just want to give a quick shout to uh, people who play Warframe that they are changing the earnable, unlockable bonus stuff when you play certain missions. I don't think I've really talked about this before, but you can take on these certain missions where uh, you fulfill a certain number of requirements and then you get a piece of like bonus loot, so it's like You can get fancier guns, you can get special Warframes, you can get special other things, but you have to, like, not only do you have to earn them in a special way, but then you have to earn pieces of them. Like, you have to earn, like, like, for example, if there's a gun, there's, like, the stock of the gun, there's, like, the barrel of the gun, there's, like, the receiver, which is, like, the middle part of the gun or whatever. And so, like, you have to earn all three of those pieces by going on these special missions, and there's only a certain number that are available. Like, out of all of the stuff that's in Warframe, they will only make, like, I don't know, like 25% of it available at a time. So like a bunch of it is locked away and they kind of cycle through it like on a I don't know, quarterly basis or something like that. So anyway, uh, starting today, February 6th, they are now offering three brand new Warframes that were n- that have not been available for a long time and a whole bunch of guns that have not been available for a long time. So if you want to earn some of that stuff, now is your chance and it's going to be running for, I believe the next three months. So just heads up on that. Uh, Also, I know I totally sound like a broken record, but I just want to give uh, a really quick uh, shout out to the Orville again. We watched another episode last night and oh, my God, it was like it was such a good episode, dude. (laughs) It was uh, there's this um, robot that's on the ship. And at first I thought it was super fucking cheesy uh, because he's basically like Lieutenant Data from Star Trek. But he looks more robotic and uh, but fulfills the same role, basically. So I wasn't like a huge fan of him but as the show has gone on, he's kind of grown on me. And last night's episode was where he ends up getting, uh, put in charge of a couple of kids, uh, through this series of situations. I'm not going to get into it now, but like, it was like the best episode, dude. Like it was so good. Like seeing the robot, like how he dealt with these kids and these kids, like how they reacted to him. And he's like coldly logical. And these kids like need support. And they're kind of like these troublesome kids. And like, he's kind of like, going through it with him, and then everything else is going on, like, oh, my God, like, it was, like, it was, like, legit so good, like, we got to the end, and, like, oh, my God, I feel kind of touched by this episode. I can't believe that, like, Seth MacFarlane, who, like, did Family Guy for 15 years or whatever, and does constant, like, shitty jokes and, like, awful, (laughs) awful topics and has done all this nasty, weird stuff, is making the show that is, like, genuinely, like, affecting me in, like, an emotional way, like, every episode, I'm, like, oh, my God, that was, like, the best episode. What is going on, Corey? I don't know what's going on. This is such the best show. Uh, anyway, shout out, because that was a good episode. And at the end, I mean, it's like he, I thought it was going to have the predictable stuff. Like I thought I knew where it was going to go and it just totally didn't go there. And it went to a different place. And I'm like, man, he's just killing it with the writing on this show. It is so good.
1: That's like a true, a true testament to a good kind of Star Trek-esque spinoff is whenever you said, oh, they introduced this character. And at first I didn't really like him. But then he started to grow on me, because that's pretty much, like, most side characters in Star Treks. So like, at first, you're like, oh, I don't know about this guy, or oh, I don't know about her. And then, like, I mean, it, sometimes it takes three episodes, sometimes it takes three seasons, but um, eventually, I feel like most characters hit their stride, and you end up being on their side about things more often than not. So that's uh, that sure sounds like a good Star Trek quality.
0: Oh, man. Just, just it was so weird, just seeing the robot and the two kids, just, oh, I mean how they were just dealing with things and just... Ah, I was so, like, touching and sweet and yet also... Like, the robot would say shit that was, like, so cold and logical. Like, it was really hurtful but at the same time you could see that he didn't really, like, mean anything by it. Like, he was just, like, looking at the data and giving you the straight answer, you know? And just, like, that, like, interplay, like... I don't know, just something about it was just really, really well done. I'm just like in love with the show like now, like like super in <laughs> love with the show. I love the show so much. So anyway, I know I talk about it every week. This is like the third week in a row. Apologies. <laughs> but if you're not watching the show, you should go watch the show because uh, I heard people say that it was good and I didn't really give it a chance until recently. And now that I'm watching it, I'm like, wow, this is like capital G Good good show i'm loving the shit out of this so anyway <laughs> that's all i got for Banterman. unless you got anything else you want to start talking about some games i think we can talk about some games let's talk about some games <laughs>